This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Here we are. Welcome to my home, Einstein. Thank you so much. You're the first guest I've had here. And, you know, actually, um, we were going to be in the studio, but now we're in my <laughs> living room because of the corona. We're sitting here with masks on, everybody. We're not breaking the rules. We're social distancing. We're masked up, and we are in a more open area of the house to kind of kind of follow the rules. It's a little tight in the studio there. So Yeah, but this is more cozy. This is more cozy, you know, um, and also it, it, I'm, I'm not afraid uh, because my wife is quite strict <laughs> with her. She said, make sure he wears a mask. Make sure you wear a mask. Make sure you social distance. Because it's me or because it's... Because her? it's her. You know, she, she, she doesn't like people. So yeah, so. okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, she, she's, she's just very careful. Yeah. Uh, and she cares about me. She doesn't want me getting sick. That's and, nice. And the kids and all that stuff. Man, I, I hope one day we can get back to normal. I, I just hope people do the right thing now, you but, know. But will we ever then? I think we'll get think? back to a new normal. Yeah, I think this I think this corona time has been an eye-opener. Yeah, it has. Can you s- send me that coffee there, would you? Yeah. And the water. I think we have a new, um, I think we're going to come around to a new normal. I'm just glad that people aren't as ridiculous about things uh, here as they are back home in the States. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I feel that uh, I think we'll have some kind of, uh, you know, Asians, Asian tourists. Yeah. They've been doing this for years, right? Oh, yeah. 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 I have, you get a new respect for disease in a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I kind of got a taste of it. I lived on Okinawa for, what, two, two and a half years. Okay. When I was in the United States Marines, I was stationed on Okinawa. It should have only been one year, but I uh, got an extension. Okay. Because I was enjoying myself so much. What a beautiful culture. Yeah. yeah. It's just, um, I don't know, that respect for your fellow man. And, little, you know, they get a cold. They just get the sniffles a little bit. They put a mask on. And that's been normal for them for, yeah. for generations. Yeah. And I think we will get there, actually. I think so. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. So we, we were talking for a few minutes before we uh, went on the air here. Uh, but I was saying some things about um, how I choose my guests. I choose people who are interesting to me and who are motivating to me. Uh, I kind of have a selfish motivation with my podcast. I'm looking to be inspired. Uh, I'm looking to be motivated. And then my hope is that my listeners will also be inspired and motivated in some way. So that's why I have you here. There's uh, a few things about your life that are inspiring to me. Um, tell us what you do. What do you do for a living? Well, I'm, I'm, um, I, I, at my core, or my base is I'm a physio, uh, physiotherapist and, and a personal trainer. I would define... Which one came first? Physical therapist, physical therapist or personal trainer? Physical therapist came okay. first. So I, I, I finished my, uh, education in 05. Yeah. Uh, I came home. I studied in Hungary. Ah, in, in Budapest. So why, I, why Hungary? Uh, well, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> get admitted in uh, at Norwegian in school. So I, I was like looking around, and then I found Hungary. Looked interesting. I uh, felt a bit different. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, was the class in English then? Yeah, maybe? it was in English. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, but we learned a bit Hungarian in order to like communicate with our patients. Yeah, 
Yeah. As I know some, uh, I know a lot more swearing than I know <laughs> 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 proper proper language. But uh, I, yeah, I got to run. Uh, when I came home, I started working at a hospital. Uh, but my uh, kind of hyperactive personality uh, wasn't satisfied by working like 8.30 until 4. Oh, okay. And then I, I, uh, I met up with a, a guy who also went to the same university as me in Budapest. And we worked at this, pla- this place called Artesia uh, in Oslo at Majustra, which is a great place. But it's more like a country clubbish thing, like you right. have in the U.S. Yeah. 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 Like you can get have dinner, you have a glass of wine, you can work yeah. out, it's a spa. So you have some high-end clients, yeah. people with money to spend. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it's a different clientele, but there's still people, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. But, it, you know, in 0506, selling personal training was different. It was, it was not common. It was regarded for... Like yeah, that's this. yeah. That's interesting to think back on that time. Um, a lot of people had no idea about the concept of a personal trainer. People, no, they didn't. people were very skeptical of the whole thing. Yeah. How did you How did you meet that challenge? Then you almost had to prove to people that you were legitimate in order to get them as a client. Yeah, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, uh, well, I always used a combination of physical therapy and training. So. The typical thing is that uh, you have a client that has some kind of issue, um, and then you you work out. You have some focus on uh, whatever issue they have, like, like an injury or, yeah, or, yeah. or a weakness. And, and then you yeah. also work on like proper fitness, and then you take them to the treatment room, right? Right. And you do some passive movements, which is something I really love because you need the active and the passive to to make a, a great whole, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, and I think that <laughs> I was kind of a, a, a curiosity there. I'm from the east of Oslo. Okay. I'm not from the west. You're not from the west side. <laughs> no, not for at those, all. For those who are back home in the States, the, the, well, tell them the yeah. difference or the, the reputation of the east side versus the west side of yeah, Oslo. Yeah, well, you have you have a river in Oslo, Akersalva, it's called. And on uh, the east <laughs> side of that, you have the working class. And on the west side, you have the more upper class. <laughs> well, actually, when I grew up, there was a working class in Norway, uh, a middle class and an upper class. Right. I, I regarded that we, we almost don't have a working class anymore. We're all middle class or upper class. It's pretty much even, yeah. Or poor. Or poor, one or the other. So the working class is kind of just vanished with automization, uh, yeah, everything. And and we're super rich, right? It seems like when I go to Oslo, I see a difference in the people. You know, I live live here in Drammen and... I don't want to say anything bad about it. Yeah, look at us trying to drink our coffee. With I almost <laughs> forgot to take my mask down to take a drink of coffee a second ago. So, so, just make this whole, just, right? Yeah, just make a whole, yeah. No, um, but when I, when I go into Oslo, uh, I was talking with my wife about this the last time we were there. We see a difference in the people. It is. There's a lot more people. You know, the men are wearing the suit and tie and carrying a briefcase. Um, the younger people are more fancily fancy dressed. I mean, you see this more, more of a professional, uh, uh, lifestyle, but at the same time, I think people in Oslo seem more relaxed than people here in Drammen, which is a weird combination because, you know, it's almost like a wall street atmosphere without the stress. And that's pretty interesting to me. We're so safe. I mean, is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. People yeah. are in general in Norway, but I think maybe in Oslo especially, you're so secure in your jobs. You you have a great income. Um, I don't know. Pe- yeah. America, yeah. greatest country in the world. That's what Americans will say. 
But I think we could learn some things from Norway. I think also... Uh, and People are just I, so chilled out here. You know, history uh, is interesting, right? Because we don't know what's coming in the future. But we do know what's been. And what has been the, in the latest, uh, since the uh, 50s, uh, it's been a tremendous rise in the pricing <sighs> of real estate, right? Yes. So everyone who came into the market before uh, 2010 is making hell of a lot of money uh right so uh, every time you sell your apartment your house uh, you up your kind of what's it called uh what is uh, what is left or different yeah your money in your in the bank your, yeah, your, yeah, your, yeah. your, your profit from sales yeah. and, and whatnot and it's not taxed right right so it's straight into your wallet here in norway and yeah. uh But uh, this is changing now because real estate prices are crazy. So the young people won't be able from now, I think, to buy a house. Not, it, it will not be as common, right? You have to have wealthy parents or get an incredible job or straight out of uni to be able to uh, purchase uh, your first apartment. I was looking at these numbers because uh, uh, Snoopy and I, my wife, And I are we're slumlords. <laughs> we, <laughs> we would be we would be landlords, but in these times of Corona and financial strife, we are slumlords. So we have an apartment across town here uh, as our investment. So we try to keep up with the real estate prices. So we were just looking at this a couple of days ago, and it's very interesting. You can buy a home in the United States in general uh, for up to forty five percent less than what you pay here in Norway. Yeah. But if you rent a place in the United States, you pay up to 30% more than you do here in Norway. That's just an interesting yeah. uh, contrast right there. It's very expensive if you're renting something in the States, but if you're going to invest and buy, yeah. you can do it for almost half the, half the money that you need to do here in Norway. That's very interesting to me, who still has my American citizenship. I hope to retire back at home someday. So that's... Yeah. Something that I keep in mind, and, and we're just looking at the differences there. But but then again, moving back home, as attractive as that is, sometimes I feel like I would be moving to a lot of problems. Yeah. Again, people here seem so much more chilled out and relaxed. And we just look at how people are reacting to the coronavirus here yeah. as opposed to how they're reacting back home. It's it's uh, it's a world of difference. And remember, I, 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 when you see America's debt. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. And when you know Norway's... Uh, what's it called? What, what we have on our savings account? Yeah, it's yeah. 10 trillion. Yeah, yeah. But well, but but let's talk about that for a second because that's as a nation. Yeah. On an individual basis or on a family basis, Norwegian families are in debt up to their noses. Yep. They have what? Did, what did they say? You guys have like? Uh, I was just looking at this the other day. Don't quote me on this, but I want to say that 40 some percent of a Norwegian's income goes towards housing. Yeah, it does. That's a huge investment mm. and a little bit scary because if <laughs> the housing market goes bad here in Norway, there's going to be a lot of people that are in trouble. Yeah, it will. Uh, yeah, it will. But, uh, you know, our social democracy here in Norway is it's, it's really, um, it, it's a fundament, right? It will it, it will nev never disappear, even if we get the... Um, The government we have now, uh, with more <laughs> the right side or from the center right, um, we will always have this hardcore social democracy. And what we know is that if you fail, 
they will catch you and uh, take care of you. Yeah, and that's a that's a reassuring thing, and that's probably what brings around this this financial confidence that Norwegians have. I don't think that so. they're not afraid to invest so much of their income into their home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't going to be a financial podcast, <laughs> but it's but it is <laughs> but it's an interesting social aspect. Yeah, yeah. It is. And, and it's interesting for me as as an American living in Norway to look at at, at the difference you know, and, and see how things are at home. But to take it from like a motivational, inspirational uh, view, it's like I find it really, really uh, interesting that when all of us want these secure jobs, did you know that 49% of Norwegians are working for the government? Oh, really? 49. 49%. Yeah. They're at home now. They're getting the same pay. There you go. They have more time with the kids. Uh, the rent is down. They're good, right? But like me in a fitness industry, I have to continuously strive to 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 keep my income good or you have to stay innovative, constantly changing your your business plan. I would imagine it is now. Finally, we got a, a like a digital deal. We want our. Uh, yeah, uh, customers. So, uh, com- what, what do you mean, like, uh, yeah, like so online com- online training? Yeah, we're yeah. we're uh, we're giving them hints and tips on how to set up their uh, home office to, to stay healthy. We're giving them hints and tips on how they should uh, do their training and stuff to keep healthy. We're all sitting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's the only position we, as a race, is not supposed to be. So we should be standing or lying, walking or running. Sitting is... When you think about how much people sit, yeah. uh, c- can you talk about what sitting over, you know, six, eight, ten hours a day at your job, what does that do to the body? Uh, it, uh, I don't think a lot of people are aware of this. No, no, no. So, so what happens is that, uh, number one, I'll take it from like a physiological perspective, your circulation goes to shit, right? circulation yeah because the circulation goes like this you get blood out from your heart and that's supposed to be distributed through throughout the body especially when it goes down to the legs it needs help from your venous pump and your muscles to be pumped back and it kind of is pumped back but then you get to the flexion of your hips which is there through sitting those uh, hip flexors, it, oh my gosh that is my if i have a weak spot uh, as a power lifter yeah it's my hip flexors definitely Absolutely. Yeah. And I see that on so many. So that's the circle, circulatory uh-huh. issue, right? So uh-huh. your venous return is restricted by your uh, hip flexion. Number two is Hold that on, hold on. Hip flexion actually affects your circulation. Absolutely. How, how so? Time. How so? That's yeah, very interesting. Because you have an obstruction when you have a, a bend in your hip. Right. Because uh, the huge uh, veins going through there. So you're literally constricting the yeah, flow yeah. of blood because of that bend. Yeah. That you're sitting, you know, eight, ten hours a day. That bend in your hips is literally yeah. cutting off the blood flow from your vein, uh, through your veins. Yeah, and as Interesting. Isaac, Sir Isaac Newton said, right, everything you hold up in air will fall down. That's right. And uh, that, that also goes for uh, your circulation. So your lymph system and your uh, blood system... Uh, is affected by this. Just look what happens with your legs when you're on an airplane. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. That's kind of the same thing, but then you get also get the pressure issue, which which enhances the whole experiment. But that happens as well. We're under atmospheric pressure here, and uh, when you restrict the circulation as well, you will get edema, swollen feet. Uh, oh, so many powerlifters who have gotten blood clots from yeah. long flights. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's typical. You're a big guy or girl, a little bit heavier yeah. than you should be maybe. Yeah. 
and then you're sitting for hours on a plane. Yeah. Uh, so well, the difference in pressure plus being still for so long. Yeah, and it's not uh, a good recipe. You know how it is, right? We, we need a surplus of calories to to build muscle. And uh, if you're a super heavyweight, you will well. It's no reason to stop. Uh, your gains, right? Right. They will always right. Li- live in this surplus. And cholesterol itself is an anabolic sus- substance, so it will help you. But it's also clotting, right? Yeah. So this uh, give and take thing, and that's why uh, you experience this in flights. But don't super heavyweights, or do you think that super heavyweights get a little out of control with the body weight thing? Yeah, they do. I look at I look at what I've done. Let me com- just compare myself with an average super heavyweight. Let's say an average super heavyweight in the United States. Uh, because super, I think super heavyweights, actually now in Norway, there's not a lot of big super heavyweights. Oh. Seems like most of, you know, uh, Martin Erenning, uh, he was up in like 170 kilos. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, Carl Ingvard, he was like 165, 70. Yeah, they're kind of different, like. But body now, top-wise. yeah, now if you're a super heavyweight in Norway, you're barely over 120. Yeah. But if I compare myself, like on an international stage or or back in in the states, the super heavyweights there tend to be you know 150 kilos and and up. Yeah. And I just don't think that that's necessary. I think you can have a leaner physique. I think you can weigh 140 kilos and be pretty solid. Yeah, absolutely. And be stronger because you have more quality muscle than some of these guys who are 150 160 kilos and less muscular what do you think what do you think yeah uh, what i think about that is yeah this is my hypothesis on that Uh, let's hear it yeah if you're super heavy uh kind of just yeah you're plain old fat you have muscle but you're uh, really overweight your general physical preparedness goes dramatically down your athleticism you may be strong you may be an effective powerlifter but your athleticism and general health is way 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 down and what does that do with your training well to do higher volume becomes a problem for you and with lower volume because of uh, a decreased general physical preparedness your training won't be as optimal as the guy who has a, a, a better general physical preparedness so this is what i think that will, your uh, the possibility of doing higher volume, will trump. Yes. The the gut. Don't you the... say trump? Don't do, don't say <laughs> that. Come on now. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, will trump the the hitting on yes. the belly to yeah. your quads. Yeah. Anyway. You know I um, I'm glad to hear you say that because that's an argument that I've had with some people. I've been criticized up through the years about the way I train. Uh, as a super heavyweight, I train more like, you know, I do things like sprints, yeah. I'll sprint, you know, whether it's running sprints or sprints on an elliptical machine or on a bicycle. Um, I have a cardio capacity, a lung volume that's that's off the charts, charts for my for my size. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm leaner. I have more of a bodybuilder look. I train more like a bodybuilder. My powerlifting workouts last maybe an hour and 10 minutes and people's jaws hit the floor. And I'm like, well, if you have the capacity, you can change the intensity of your workouts, meaning you don't have to do a set of three on squats and then wait 10 minutes before you you take the next set. That's that's right. And do a set of six or eight and you wait, you know, 60 to 90 seconds and you get on and you do it again. And this is with heavy weight. You know, that's the way, that's, that's been my training philosophy. 
And I think that that has been the key to my powerlifting success. I agree. You know, it's, it's, it's a non powerlifting way of training, Yeah. but I don't think it should be a non powerlifting way of training. I think it should be, of course, you know, to each his own or her own. But I think that that, that that concept of the powerlifter having to take an eternity to finish a training session is a little bit archaic. It should be rethought. Yeah, it's more of a cultural thing, not anything else. Uh, Do you think so? Do you think it's a cultural stubbornness? Yeah, absolutely. We have so much, well, I don't know if it's ignorance or cultural. But we have Can we this call it ignorance? Because isn't ignorance the unwillingness to accept new ideas? Yeah, yeah, self-imposed ignorance. Absolutely. So we can say that we have a lot of research now, right? We know what happens if you do that and this and whatever. So it's not not it's no evidence on keeping the your workout hours and hours long uh, compared to doing it shorter. What happens is uh, the body kind of uh, um, powerlifting is anaerobic, right? Yes. Yes. So if you work within the anaerobic scheme of things, you will get better. So sprinting, great. Yep. Uh, jumping, yep. great. Explosions, yep. right? Uh, and I've never well, been much for jumping, though. Any, not recently, anyway. My joints don't tolerate no, that. <laughs> I know. But the sprint, but sprinting—that—that's—that's that's a solid piece of my of my training routine. You know, I'll do I'll do my squats. You know, I'll squat. 300 plus kilos in a, in a training session, you know, for, for reps and then run some sprints afterwards. Yeah. Um, people tell me I'm losing something. No. But I, I say the opposite. I'm gaining something. That that aerobic capacity is nothing but a bonus for my training. But that's nonsense. Like it is. You're losing something. Anaerobic is anabolic. Aerobic is catabolic. Exactly. So... As long as you keep it anaerobic, you're building. There you go. There if you you're go. if you're eating the amount you need, you are building. The aerobic skin of things is catabolic. Yeah. So the issue, if you keep things, uh, if you're running like huge amounts and try to pack on muscle, well, that can become an issue. Um, well, if if you if you have the right amount of you know, when I sprint. Um, a sprinting session for me is over in 10 to 12 minutes. Yeah. Um, it's basically a hit type of thing. You know, I will, I'll literally sprint at a hundred percent for about 10 seconds, yeah. rest for 20 to 30 seconds and sprint again yeah. so that it's over within, you know, 10 to, to, to 12 minutes. Now, I think if I were to stretch that out to 15, 20, 25 minutes of sprinting, then I'm going to lose some strength. Then I'm going to have a challenge of keeping that caloric plus to gain muscle. But as long as you temper it a little bit, as long as you're, you're smart about it and keep it, you know, like I say, ten, you know, sprinting for 10 minutes, you're not going to lose any muscle. Quite the opposite. You're going to gain because you're going to have the capacity to train with more intensity. Absolutely. With your strength training. But it's still anaerobic because the exercise itself, when you're like doing your set of sprints, is anaerobic, yeah. then you have a rest. It's anaerobic, then you have a rest. But if you keep it aerobic over time, that's really, it's not a good idea if you want to pack on muscle. So you have to do this cleverly. If you're just starting off training, well, you have beginning gains. Right. Whatever. It, it, it'll be good. So, it's, so it's a good, what's a good routine then if, if you want to incorporate sprinting 
while you're still trying to gain strength and mass. Well, uh, sprinting will always be okay. I, I like sprinting at the end of a workout. Yes. Oh, yeah, always at the end. Yeah, because it really messes up your sure. technique and, like, everything and your focus. So when I see people going crazy on an elliptical for 20 minutes before yeah. they lift with their weights, I, I just wish they would flip it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I you, wish you, they would. You should. Well, what I feel, uh, you should make your t- technique work, your warm-up, you do your working sets, then you do your sprints yeah. or, and or maybe explosive work before your sprints Right. if you need that. Yeah. That's what I feel. Listen, people, because it's so frustrating to see people doing the opposite. Yeah. And a lot of people do. Yeah, they do. But those are the people who are a little bit stubborn. It's that willful ignorance. You know, they know there's more research and more information out there, but they're kind of stuck. They're stuck in the 90s yeah, <laughs> or yeah. the 80s, some of them. And they don't have this new, uh, more efficient way of, of approaching their training routine. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like, you have, you have this fo- functional focus now, right? A lot of people are powerlifting, like recreational powerlifting. Uh, CrossFit is huge. I, and I think powerlifting owes CrossFit a big amount of uh, Absolutely. Uh, gratitude. Absolutely. Um, but uh, what they won't realize is that every time they come in, they go up to the like 90% range and they're, they start grinding uh, in the hope that that grind will make their strength go up, right? If they would spend 10 minutes more on technique work, that can put on like 50 pounds of a squat instantly. Yes. While gaining strength, that takes, I don't know, hell of a lot of time. It, it does. Uh, one advantage that I think has, that has worked well for me is my approach to warm-ups, warm-up sets and reps. Yeah. I treat them as if they are actual work sets when it comes to focus on technique. Oh, it's so interesting. It's, it's, I've been thinking about just this topic lately when i when i uh, when i'm warming up for squat which which is is my favorite exercise of the three powerless um and, and i begin with just the bar it's the same you know I, I can see it going like a film in my head you know left hand on the bar right hand on the bar head under the bar set it on the shoulders one step left foot one step right foot breathe and squat yeah. and i do that same thing Every single set, every single rep, even on the warm-ups. How, so, how big of a jump do you do yeah, during a um, warm-up? Uh, the bar. And then after that, I just start adding the reds. Yeah. The 25-kilo plates. Yeah, okay. um, so how many sets will that? Uh, let's say you're, up, you're going to like thir- 300. And that's quite the, a bit of warm-up. Then, yeah, it's quite a bit of warm-ups. Uh, then it will be, I'll, I'll do maybe two sets with just the bar uh, for eight, eight to ten reps. Uh, then, I'll, then I'll start stacking on the reds, and then for each set, it'll be gradually fewer reps. Yeah, and more explosive. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, so the heavier I'm going to lift for that training session, the more... Uh, warm-up sets I have, yeah, which is only beneficial. Yeah, that's the thing, because if you do one warm-up with the bar, then you, uh, let's say you're going up to 80%, yeah. then your next warm-up is 40, then you have 60, and then you go. The thing is that if you add up the volume of more warm-up sets, it gets huge. And that's right, yeah. yeah. That's the thing, and uh, I've been thinking about this. I think too many just 
go straight to their working sets or too fast and then they they lose all this volume but it's all relative i, th- I think it, it depends on the lifter's level of, of of experience and expertise and it depends on the workload as well you know i, I can give you an example um for a couple different reasons, it's been it's been a few weeks. It's been quite a few re- weeks since I last trained. But I know that when I go out in the garage and I'm going to squat again, that day's work sets will be at, uh, and this is on an SSB SSB bar. I can't squat on a regular bar. I've got some shoulder yeah. issues. But uh, I know that my work sets on that first day back will probably be at 170 kilos yeah. with an SSB bar. That's heavy. That's heavy. But that'll be where I start. That's my that's my base level to get started on a training cycle that will probably last about 14 weeks yeah. before I do a deload and go back and, and restructure things. So you you uh, so it's re- it's all relative, but but within that relativity is the um, comes the importance of that warm up procedure, which a lot of people don't focus on. I think I may have more focus on my warm ups than I do on my work sets. When I get to my work sets. I'm locked in and it kind of goes its own on its own. Yeah. There's very little thought. It's just an automatic process at that time. But I put a lot of thought and a lot of focus in my warm-ups, which I think has benefited me greatly, especially in my squat. Do you do a linear progression of block or a conjugate? Where are you? I do I do a linear pro, uh, progression. Um, and this goes back to I'm very fortunate to be able to say that at one point I was training with Ed Cohen. Oh, wow. His his wife actually is the reason I'm in Norway. His wa- his wa- yeah, you know Hege. Yeah, well, I met them, yeah. Hello Hege. Um she and my wife have been friends since my wife was a kid like 12, 13 years old. So when Hege moved to Chicago and I met Hege and we just hit it off, she and I became best friends right away. And Hege started telling me, "Hey, you've got to meet my friend." You know, it, I was like, nah, that's just, I'm not interested. But I did meet her friend yeah. and ended up marrying her. Yeah. So it's Hega's, Hega's the reason wow. why. And when Hega comes, she should be coming here in a, in a few weeks. She usually spends about half the year here in Norway. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she and I yeah, yeah. were like, how yeah. cool is that? If you look on my uh, social media, when I tag a uh, tiny little coach on my power lifts yeah. uh, from training, that's Hega. Uh-huh. I just met them at the strongman event. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. I was just like hello, and I was like really starstruck because Ed Cohen's lifting is something else, isn't it? His methodical way of well, that's looking where I learned at, it. Yeah. That's where I learned it from. That concept of treating your warm ups almost more with more focus than you do your actual work sets. Yeah. I got that from Ed. Uh, how to squat. The first time I squatted 600 pounds was training with Ed. I'll never forget that day. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. it's possible. You know, now 600 pounds is not, what is that, 272 kilos? Now that's nothing. Yeah. But at that time, that was a huge goal for me. And I got that because of his uh, guidance. Yeah. So to be able to train with him and, and his crew back in the day when I was living in Chicago, that was, that's crazy. That was a foundation of my powerlifting. Although I didn't start powerlifting until 2015 here in uh-huh. Norway. Uh-huh. Before that, I was a bodybuilder. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, just just to watch Ed Ed Cohen oh, how he lifted it was like, either he locked it out with perfect technique, yeah. or it wouldn't come off. Yeah, in a way, exactly. But he almost never missed though. 
Uh, that's 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 one thing I was just gonna say that his training was so methodical and so well thought out. There's no such thing as him missing a lift in training. No, never, I never saw it happen. I mean, he he tells in some interviews about how it happened from time to time in his early days, but in all those years I was there from like '95 till 2002, I never saw him miss a lift in training. Everything was so so, and I never miss a lift in training. No, it's very meticulous, very well thought out. I don't do uh, heavy max out singles. My max out at the end of a training block is three reps. What can I do for a triple? That's what I want to know. And based on that triple in training, I can then estimate what my opening lift should be, my second lift, and my max. Triples. Uh, Yeah, and and the risk-reward ratio of going like a one repetition max. It breaks my heart to see some of these young young cats out there doing single after single. I I, I don't understand that. That's ego. I do understand it. It's ego. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. But but if if you would take that enthusiasm and put it into a thought-out process, you'll get so much more out of it. And their mental state is, uh, you're young, right? So you don't know better, but you're you're killing your nervous system. (laughs) Well, trying to go one repetition max, a true one repetition max, that that will put you out for actually weeks. Well, and you talk about being young and not knowing better. I was fortunate. I was young and I knew better because I had excellent guidance uh, from day, almost from day one. I was like 12 years old. And my football coaches, uh, football, not soccer, for you Europeans, football. <laughs> uh, my football coaches uh, uh, knew what they were doing when it came to lifting weights. So I've had good guidance yeah. and, and trained smart and effective the whole way, yeah. um, which is a benefit because I think these young guys are starting with some bad habits. Yeah. They're probably in the beginning stages of an injury, but they don't realize it yet, and yeah. it's going to come and hurt them later in their in their in their lifting career. It will absolutely. I found out too late that well, I'm long, right? I'm kind of high. Uh, I'm one ninety two, and uh, I was doing this. You know, in Norway, there are different cultures as well, right? Oh yeah. If you look at an American squat, like a West Side thing, right? <laughs> That's crazy hamstrings and glutes. Yeah. But uh, us Norwegians, we tend to do it more like an Olympic squat. More high bar, and knees more forward. upright and knees forward. That's yeah. been the, my problem. So I have this long femur. Yeah, you got those long femurs. Yeah, yeah. and my knees been going uh, re- forward uh, a lot during squats, so uh, they're kind of shot now. My knees are my uh, yeah my totally uh, joint is is just. It's not inflamed, it's just worn out in a way. Well, it definitely helps to have those good proportions in your joints. I'm uh, I'm built for squatting. Yeah, you are. It's funny, I look at, I posted a picture, an old picture when I when I uh, hit the, the squat record last year. Excuse me. And I look at the, the picture of me standing next, I'm, I'm, I've barely come up to anybody's shoulder. Yeah. I'm this short, stocky guy that's just built for squat. And then I see people like you who are quite tall, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a tall person who is a good squatter. I don't really know of any. No, uh, uh, even Carl Ingvars Kristensen. He's not. He's he was. He's not that tall. No, he is isn't. He? No, he isn't. He's taller uh, than me. He's got. He's probably close to 180, if not 180. But but yeah. people who are over 1.8 uh, meters, uh, I don't know. I don't see too many of them being 
effective squatters. No. So, so now I'm actually doing kind of a good morning squat. Okay. Yeah. So focus on my back being nice and straight, my abs being tight. And then when I get to in the hole, I want to push my lumbar spine backwards. Anyway, right. that's my focus. So I kind of, I, I listen to this uh, quite interesting podcast or video podcast with Stan Efferding. Stan Efferding. Yeah. Yes. So he had this thing about, um, what's his name? Uh, like a huge training guru, strength coaching. Uh, uh, not Louis Simmons? No, not Louis, but. Mark the, Bell? The other guy. Like the same age as Louis in a way. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, who? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, well, any, uh, anywho, uh, he read his book and was like, and he wanted more a slump over squat than the wide, wide west side style. Uh, but then he felt that you should do it more in a good morning style in order to really flex your ab and have it, then you need this tighter core. But if you let your sternum go a bit down, it's easier to flex um, if you hang out in this huge lumbar sway, yeah, yeah, you can breathe into your belly and everything, but uh, it gets more difficult. So it's a, it's a give and take thing. Sure, yeah. sure. And for me, that works perfectly because my my hamstrings and 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 uh, glutes are really firing when I get yeah. into that kind of a, a good morning squat. So I, that's what I'm doing. I can't do the weights I did before, but they do the work because you can pit put higher amounts of weight on your shoulders, which is a good thing. What are your thoughts about longevity? I'm 51 years old, and I'm in a little bit of a break right now, self-imposed, not training very much. But when I come back, in spite of my shoulder trouble, I'm going to squat more than I did. I'm going to raise that that record, that uh, Norwegian record for, the, for, for raw squat. I'm going to squat even more. And I'm going to do it at an age of 52, maybe 53. Um. I know why that's possible, but you as a personal trainer, you as a as somewhat of a, of a fitness guru, uh, guru, how can that be possible? Yeah, well, yeah. Drug-free, let's add that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I know a lot of people, oh, steroids. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, training, um, you know, for those who are listening, I lift in the USAPL, I was on the US national team, and I also lift in Norway, and both federations are IPF, International Powerlifting Federation, where there is a drug testing both in meat and out of meat. There's a routine for that. Um, so we're talking drug-free training here for those who are, listen, for yeah, those who are listening. Yeah. So how, how is that possible? 50, let's say 50 years old when I, when I set that record. How is that possible? Because the thought out there is that uh, the older you get, the weaker you get. Yeah, well, uh, number one, I'll say smarter training. You know what will hurt Say you. Say that again. Smarter training. Smarter training. Yes. So you know what will hurt you. You know what works. And you know also know when to back down because your ego is in check, right? Yep. You don't care if you if you like lift 100 kilos less because you need it. I am so far away from trying to show off during my training. It's all business. There's no ego involved in my training at all. And that, that, that comes with age. Yes, it does. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two is that um, you know how to affect your your hormone system. You sleep more, you eat better, yes, and all of those things. So the decrease, the age decrease of the hormone level, it's much less than your surplus of lifestyle. 
that's an interesting concept that you know I, I'm aware of that, but 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 most people aren't. Oh. They think automatically because you're older, because you have less hormone production. We're, th- we're thinking testosterone here, um, um, more cortisone that's being dumped into your system because you're older. That that that's it. It's everything's downhill. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is that can be you know there's there's an antidote to that, which is things like more sleep. Yeah, that's number that's one. That's probably actually. yeah. I was gonna say that's probably number one. Yeah. But what else can one do to keep hormone levels up as one ages? What uh, else can one, can you do? Well, we know that uh, eating, diet. Yeah, there you go. Probably it's a uh, num a good number two. Yep. I I still think that sleeping is number one, but a good number two is eating. Uh, and you have this uh, concept also, like a powerlifter should like just chug down <laughs> ice cream and. Whatnot, uh, a lot of fat to to yeah. to lift the most amount of weights. But now we know what uh, good amino acids do, uh, what greens um, provide, and and so on. So you want you need that calorie surplus, but you want it through Keep it clean. proper foods, yes. right? So I'm not saying uh, like when we, when we talk about healthy eating, a lot of us, well, the public now think that okay. Cut down on the carbs, eat more protein. You need good carbs. Yes, you do. Because if, if you don't eat carbs, you won't have any insulin uh, reaction, which will make bring those carbohydrates into your muscle, right? So that's a big misconception. Just You have to, to, have to take out the fries and use more of a, a glycemic positive yeah. carbohydrate. That's the thing, but it's it's not easy though. It it, it sounds easy, but it's it's not, it's not easy. You know, it, it it is a challenge. There are things that tempt us. You know, you, you talk about ice cream and yeah. stuff, and I start <laughs> I start drooling right away. Yeah, that's the best. Though. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> um, but but it's but it's doable, and it's doable if you have discipline. And the discipline comes if your goal is bright enough for you. Yeah. If it's something you really want to do, then you're going to do the work. Yeah. I would imagine, or let me ask you this, um, what kind of challenges do you have as a personal trainer when it comes to client motivation? I've dabbled in personal training in, in, um, in the sense that I've written programming for powerlifters and I follow them up online. And one of the most frustrating things for me was when this person comes to me quite humbly and asking for help and I give them the help or or I lay the help out there in front of them and then they immediately start finding every excuse as to why they cannot uh, uh, follow the program. How do you deal with that? Well, I've done like 20,000 plus sessions of personal training and at start uh, I uh, was like you uh, frustrated. Then I started to keep them accountable. How do you do that? Well, I, I want them to uh, reach out to me, let's say every week, some sort of written form on how their weekend was and how their uh, training was when they when they did it alone. It's almost like they're blogging to you. Yeah, they are. Progress. They yeah. are. And then they, what I see is that with time, they're kind of their emotions start coming, right? Uh-huh. What's happening in their lives. And then okay. it can really start working because a lack of motivation, inspiration almost always have an origin in something else. 
I've always thought that there's a, a psychologist aspect to personal training. Definitely. If, it, if personal training is being done correctly, yeah. then there is this psychological aspect to it. You get a little bit of a view. You get a little bit of, of influence in their private lives outside of training. Yeah. Because the two, they hang together. Yeah. Your private life and what's going on in your private life will definitely affect your training. What I know about training, and let's say when I have a client, how much will what I know about training affect them uh, in comparison with who I am and how I affect their mind? I see. I was in 90, 10. Yeah. Yeah, 90, 10. And that says everything. And if you uh, think about your lifting and lifting heavy, how much of it is mental and how much of it is physical, right? And with your experience, you know that the mental aspect is huge. I I think I summed it up. uh, If I can pat myself on the back, I think I summed it up very well in uh, something I posted on my Facebook page um, about that record uh, squat lift. There was thousands of hours, or, or minutes rather, thousands of minutes of mental focus of playing a film in my head of me doing that lift. And it became the reality. You know, I I could close my eyes and immediately fall into the reality of that vision of me doing that single repetition. That became the reality so that when I got on the platform on competition day, it was... That the actual lift was actually like a dream yeah. because I had created the reality already in my head. That is literally thousands of minutes of preparation, yeah. mental preparation. And that is when you decide to think about it. I think how many times you subconsciously think about a lift because it, you're locked into a vision. Exactly. Yeah. And then that, it will be there. Even though yeah. you're doing something else, it's still there. Okay, I'm going to like this and like that. I'm a winner. I'm good whatever a positive self-talk right if i can yeah if i can go back to ed cohen again going back to when i was training with him back at uh back in chicago there at quads gym he of course it was impressive to see him lift but for me what was more impressive what gave me chills to see was his mental focus the routine he was kind of quiet wasn't he he was extremely quiet yeah and you could literally see it's almost like someone flipped a switch yeah. and he would go into his mental preparation. Yeah. And then after the lift, it was like someone flipped a switch again and he came out of it. Yeah. It, was, it, it, was, it, it was incredibly inspiring to watch. That probably is the biggest thing that I took away from my time training with him was, that, uh, was the importance of that mental preparation. Because focus doesn't need to be aggressive. Exactly. That's the thing. He it's wasn't kind of, a yeller and a screamer. He didn't go up and headbutt the bar and all. No. It was this calm, yeah. quiet, composed, very yeah. composed. Yeah. And the explosion of energy and possibly emotion came during the actual lift. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. He's so interesting. That guy. He's so interesting. And, and why doesn't more people like? He's the greatest, greatest lifter of all time. Of all time. Of all, yes. no question. No question. Why doesn't so? Why doesn't more people look to him? I, I can I can answer that. Yeah. Um, if you go outside of the IPF, some of these other federations that don't have, let's say that don't have the rules that the IPF has, yeah. 
he is like a god in those federations. And the IPF, he's point. like a god, but nobody talks about it yeah. because yeah. of those doping violations. Yeah. But I'll say this <clears throat> to those people in the IPF. Now, Ed Cohen is a friend. Like I said, his, his wife is the reason I'm with my Snoopy right yeah. now. Um, I'll say this about Ed Cohen. A, a doping violation is a doping violation. But I don't know a man who has more honor than Ed Cohen. I don't know a man who is a bigger ambassador for powerlifting than Ed Cohen. I don't know a man who is more of an enthusiast for powerlifting than Ed Cohen. I don't know a man who is more giving of his time and knowledge than Ed Cohen. So I'll say that. A doping violation is a doping violation. Shame on him. He did that, and shame on him. But he's much more than that. But it was so I'll say, that's what I'll say to the, to the people who don't even want to mention his name in the IPF. That's what I'll say in defense of Ed Cohen. That's, I, uh, yeah. Uh, we could go on with this IPF thing forever, I think. But I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. This, and it was a different time. 70s, 80s. It remember that. Time. It, it, it Let's was remember like, that because the attitude, yeah. the attitude today is it's the IPF. Do not use anything. Yeah. It's illegal. Back then, this is the IPF or whatever the federation was called at the time. Don't get caught. Mm, that's the thing. And that was the accepted thought yeah. back then. You're in so a private, different time. Different yeah, time. and side effects wasn't a part of the. Oh, nobody uh, thought about that. No, no, no. no. And that and that is also a thing, I guess. Um, um, you're not hurting anyone in powerlifting right <laughs> you're only hurting yourself exactly though. and that, i think that is different if you use uh in let's say american football yeah. you're hurting someone yes. because you are stronger because you cheated right. right right that's different or in fighting you have to acknowledge that yeah uh, uh doping abuses in uh in um in powerlifting that is a, you're, you're only harming yourself yeah um <laughs> Not that there's anything. Uh, I'll say. Let me say this to be very clear: the IPF has its rules, and I think that if you are going to use performance enhancers in the IPF, uh, shame on you. Because if you want to use performing enhance performance enhancers, that's your choice. But go to a federation where it's legal. Yeah, it's not legal in the IPF. So I want to say that very clearly: I do not support drug use in the IPF. Outside of the IPF, do what you want. That's your individual choice. You're not hurting anyone except yourself. I also, you have to... Uh, and maybe your family. <laughs> you have to, yeah, you have to follow the rules. I don't you have to. I don't condone to. with the use of, but I'm just... If someone wants to go as heavy as possible in uh, a non-tested federation, yeah. okay, be yeah. my guest. Yeah, that's their thing. Yeah. It's, it's not legal. You're not hurting anyone except for yourself. Yeah. Me personally, I would be scared to death to use yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. I have seen, you know, people will people will argue quite strongly against what I'm about to say, but I've seen a lot of people, not recently, but back in the days when I was training uh, uh, in the States, I saw a lot of people using a lot of different things and they got hurt. Some of them died yeah. because they, they just went overboard with certain things and they got heart trouble, kidney trouble, yeah. liver trouble, and, and they died. I know guys that were in their early 20s who died. That's the physical aspect. Because of consequences of using it. And there's also the mental side. Let's take into suicide account. There's some numbers out there on the steroid use. It's, it's frightening. So ugly, yeah. And, and see, in those facts, and let's call them what they are, they're facts. Those facts about steroid use 
along with the ethical side, because I do lift in the IPF. It's just, it, it all adds up, it, right. And it's just, it's just not a, it's not a, it's not an issue for me. I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't imagine. No. I just couldn't imagine. It's too scary. Yeah, it's it too is. frightening. Yeah, totally. totally. And I worry about my reputation as well. I think I'm a good guy and I want people to think I'm a good guy. Yeah. And I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't see myself cheating like that. No, no, no. I totally agree. It's, it's, how Looking, can I put this? It's, it's all, uh, it's all up to you, but yeah. don't, I mean, be smart, be yeah. smart. And I think if you sleep well, if you eat healthy and if you train correctly, again, you don't need it. it's better than steroids. Here's one thing I never understood is the 18, 19, 20 year old who decides they want to start training and they immediately start using steroids. I don't get that. No. Totally. Why would you do that? You have no idea what your body can do. No. no idea what your body can do. I'll say this. I'm 51 years old. Uh, find me anybody in Norway today. I don't care whether they're using or not, and I'll challenge them to squatting. Yeah. And I'll beat them yeah. naturally, 100% clean. Point being, if that is possible, if I can say that with confidence... I have to ask that 20-year-old, why in the world don't you wait and see what your body can do? Yeah. And you'll last long. Yeah. But if you start doping now and you start getting this bad ratio between muscle mass and, and uh, um, uh, connective tissue uh, instability, yeah. which is a big issue yeah, that a lot of people huge. don't think about. But when you get into that, how long are you going to be able to keep that size and that strength? It's not going to last. But you know all these. I want to be. I want to be sixty, sixty-five years old, and mm -hmm. still strong as heck. Yeah. And you, you just can't do that if you start using that stuff. No, it's not going to happen. It's not possible. And the, uh, what's my supposed to say? I talk too much now. Yeah. You forgot what you're going <laughs> to no, say. No, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> you're, well, yeah. Uh, the dealers of steroids mm. and all of these protein companies, what they're doing actually is leaning on beginning gains. A lot. I'm sorry, leaning on beginner gains. Beginner gains, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. they know that people get stronger and bigger anyway when they start training. And then they tell that, that <laughs> it's their product, right? Who got them stronger and uh, bigger. So, yeah. There's a little bit of, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think they're ignoring a little bit of their responsibility and their ethic, their ethic responsibility up in all of that. Yeah, they are. Well, I think I need to, let me turn this water on again and look yeah. No problem. Yeah, uh, it's totally irresponsible. And and uh, have you ever been to uh, FIBO? Like this... Uh, I'm sorry, say again? Have you ever been to FIBO? No, no. no that's like a, a mess uh, where all these companies can show off their products and then you get a, a, like a sense of how big this industry is. Okay. It's as huge as, I'll say... 15 soccer fields. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In Oslo? Is that in Oslo somewhere? No, it's uh, Germany. Germany, okay. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Cologne. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it should go. Well, COVID probably killed it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's a big industry. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. But, uh, well, I'm in it to, to show that uh, it, it's... It's not fitness, it's health. It's not fitness, it's, it's life. It's life. We have to move, right? We're, so many things have changed with, uh, with digital and uh, electricity and uh, 
our lives, right? But our body is still like it was 500 years ago well, or whatever. It's interesting you touch on something here because it's so much more than just going into the gym and grunting and sweating, yeah. you know? It bleeds into it bleeds over into into life. Yeah. You know, fitness and training is is life, and life is also fitness and training. If you're suffering in one, you're probably going to suffer in the other. There's a balance for me anyway. There's yeah. a balance. You know, the discipline, the focus, the drive. Uh, I apply that in my life, and then it puts me in a better situation to enjoy the benefits of my training, and vice versa. Yeah. Hold yeah, on, let me go get this water here. Uh, no stress. I, I I totally agree. The thing with evolution is that we're we're kind of wired to avoid pain and go into pleasure. And when you avoid pain altogether, you won't exercise, right? Because it's kind of unpleasant to to exercise, <laughs> at least if you're new to it. After a while, you will associate the pain with progress and good health. And well, all the positive signs of training, but it won't be done in a week or two yes. or three or half a <laughs> year or a year maybe. But you have to get into the groove of it, and you have to take into consideration all the other aspects than the aesthetical aspect. Right, right. That's that won't last unless you're wired as a bodybuilder or whatever. But that's like a small, small percentage it's not not even so a percentage. i'm so i'm crazy for thinking that by the time i die i'm going to be in better shape than i am right now no <laughs> <laughs> i love that you never stop lifting oh i, God. I, I don't know no. for a one oh i have to be a quad to stop i haven't trained now in about six eight weeks but that's because i'm just giving it a, a rest because of the shoulder shoulder issues that i have yeah. uh i've had eight shoulder surgery since 20 16. Wow. And the last one was, was just crazy. They took a, uh, they took an Achilles tendon and sewed it into my lower trapezius okay. and wrapped it around and attached it in the front, basically to give me that outward rotation, re basically replacing what the infraspinatus is yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. And it didn't work. <laughs> it was an experimental surgery. I was, I'm the only one in Norway to have had that. Yeah. It's a new procedure that they found, uh, that they figured out out at uh, the Mayo Clinic in the United States. Yeah. And my surgeon actually went there to study under the guy that invented this procedure. Uh, I was just at the surgeon yesterday talking about it, and we're going to have another surgery. Oh, oh my gosh, number nine coming up. Well, listen to this, people. What he's telling you now is that he had eight surgeries, a ninth coming up, and he's not stopped lifting. So when you have a neck that's painful because you're a bit stressed <laughs> and then you skip a workout, yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, you don't need be a that, chump. Don't you be a chump. Work through workout. it. Well, I don't want to say work through it because that's kind of a meathead way of looking at work it. Work around it. Work around it. Yeah. I have adjusted my powerlifting training, uh, fully realizing that I will never have a big bench again, ever. Yeah. I've benched 235 kilos before. I did yeah. that at a significantly significantly lighter body weight too yeah. i was around 115 yeah. 115 kilos so i'm fully aware that i'll never have a big bench again uh right now i can't even bench a bar just mm -hmm. the 20 kilo bar can't do it but luckily i'm an older guy <laughs> and in my division the bench is of less importance yeah 
And it, it was an interesting process, one that I, I, I use to motivate people uh, who are in a similar situation. I tell them my journey towards that, that Norwegian record squat. My shoulder was so bad, and it is so bad, that I couldn't squat with a straight bar. So all my squatting for about 18 months before that lift was done with a safety squat bar. Yeah. And the most I squatted in training was two sets of three with 285 kilos. But SSB squats, safety squat bar uh, squats are so much more difficult than straight bar yeah. that it was actually a benefit to yeah. me. My core strength went up through the roof, my quad strength up through the roof. Um, with SSB squats, you have to have that control because if you lean too far forward, yeah, yeah. you're going to face plant right into yeah. the floor. So I never squatted more than a triple with 285 kilos, but I ended up squatting at that, uh, at that competition, 335.5. Yeah. Can't forget the 0.5. <laughs> so that is a perfect example of having an injury, having a, a hindrance, if you will, but working around that to continue the progress. Yeah. So I, I like to tell uh, some of these younger and older lifters who are meeting resistance in their training. And I try to tell them this doesn't mean that you have to stop. This doesn't mean that you have to give up your dream. You just have to have a, a different path yeah. forward. So in your bench now, are you kind of focusing more on the tricep extension of the bench, trying to keep your... Well, I, for the last two years, two and a half years, probably closer to three years now, I have not benched in training at all. Um, that's crazy. <laughs> I had, I had, um, at the last meet where I set the squat record, I had that squat and I benched, uh, 25 kilos. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you have to, uh, for those who don't understand powerlifting, you have to have all, uh, one, at least one lift in the squat bench and deadlift. So I couldn't skip the bench. No. So the least amount I could do was the bar with the two collars. Yeah. That's le That's the legally the, 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 the smallest amount you can do. Yeah. So that's what I did. And barely, I'm not kidding you, I barely was able to bench that during that competition. That's how bad my shoulder is. Well, how, how, or how is your shoulder during a proper squat? You need a super wide grip to... Well, what I did, what I did, like I said, I um, leading up to that competition, all I could do was a safety squat bar. So I did that. And then one week before the competition, my last training day, I went into the, uh, to the powerlifting club, shout out to the Drummond powerlifting club. I went into the club and I had, you know, all of my teammates and club mates and, and people uh, spotting me while I put, I think I put, what did I put on the bar? 290 on the bar. And this was after doing maybe an hour's worth. I actually started warming up at home trying to yeah. relax that shoulder cuff, that rotator cuff as much as possible. Yeah. Because as I sit here, I wish we had video of it so the listeners can see, but you know, I can do this with my right arm and you see, I can't even yeah, lift my, yeah. so I had to loosen that rotator cuff up and then literally take my right hand and place my left hand on the bar yeah. and then wiggle my way under the bar, you know, uh, uh, and, yeah. and literally yeah. grunting because it hurts so bad. Mm. 
and just do that that rep with two. I think I I warmed up to two seventy, and then I did another set with two eighty, a yeah. single, just to show, just to prove to myself that I could, yeah. no matter how difficult it was, get under the bar. Yeah. And of course, it was a high bar. I think the bar was sitting more on my head <laughs> than yeah, it was on yeah, my shoulders. Yeah. But that that was my preparation for that meet. That was the, that was the the one and only time over the course of about two years that I touched a straight bar for squat. So that was my prep. And then I went to the meet and, you know, adrenaline and, and focus and, and, and active meditation, just kind of blocking out the uncomfortableness and the pain. And I got under the bar and I, and I, and I did it. And that's what age does to you, right? Another one wouldn't go to the meet because it couldn't squat with a straight bar. You do the SSB bar. You work with your mental state, yes. and then you go and set a record. I mean, that shows everything. I'm very proud. I, you know, I've had a long athletic career. I've been an athlete for over 40 years, and that day, that prepar- that day was the culmination of the best athletic preparation yeah. I've ever had in my life. And to me, I, I, I it, it's it's amazing to me. I don't care if it's amazing to anyone else. I'm not saying these things for purposes of ego, but for me personally, it was a ama- it was an amazing process. It was a process that gave me confidence, not just with my lifting, but in life. And here we go, where where the where the training mentality bleeds into life and vice versa. Yeah. Going through that, it just it just gave me that reaffirmation that I can do whatever the heck I want. Yeah. If I put my mind to it, I can do it. You know, I got tastes of that as a as a kid. You know, playing football in high school, I got a big dose of it uh, in the United States Marines, and then I got it again uh, during that meet. So it, it's a it's a good feeling. You know, you, you got to find out what what do you want in life? What is your goal? If you don't have one, make one, and then achieve it, and then feel good about it. Yeah. It just it just it will carry you through life. It will. Yeah carry you through the tough times it just makes you know that you're going to be all right yeah it does i have this a group session i do uh, uh where i live actually uh it's like 10 to 15 you're, you're in oslo right no no I, i'm at uh oskir it's just like close oskir, by yeah. the sea do you know volume yes yeah. yeah close by okay uh and uh they come like we've been doing this for like three years and, and they come each and every week to to uh have this let's call it a boot camp the most important thing they have learned is that you never stop. There That's what go. I'm telling them all throughout that workout. Don't stop. Look ahead of you. Don't look down. Keep on working. And that, that applies to everything in life, right? Yeah. So that's my main objective. And I tell them. And that is why they, I think they come each and every week. It's not about the booty. It's not about the thighs. It's about it's about the achievement. Life quality. It's about, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they... they it's extract, a beautiful thing. Ex- they extract from that just a better life. And it's a beautiful thing to see people understand that. Yeah. It takes time. It takes time. You know, you don't just fall into that. It's a, it's a process. Yeah. It's a process. And like I say, I'm lucky that I started that process. Well, you know, I can thank my... I do thank... I've, I've been on a telephone with some of my old football coaches mm. from way back when I was a kid, thanking them for putting that discipline and that way of thinking into me way back then, because I have carried it with me all the way up until the, uh, you know, all, all the way up until my, my adult life. Yeah. 
It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. And after a while, it actually gets to the point where it's like showering, brushing your teeth. Yeah. It's something that you do. It's normal. Yeah. 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 And that's uh, also just the product of maintaining, doing, even though you don't feel like it. And then you get to the point where it's a necessity, uh, an obligation for your, to yourself. And yeah, everyday yeah. life. Yeah. It's nothing strange about it. It's nothing special. You just do it. So talking about just speaking of just doing it, how are you getting it done now in these Corona times? You know, Norway is in not a total shutdown at the moment, but we have kind of gone back to the way it was in the, the late spring, early summer. Yeah. Very little public activity. How, how are you feeling that now with your business? Yeah, uh, just short on my business. Uh, it's like two sided. I have my own which is personal trainer and physio Øystein Jensen. And then you have my company, which is called Kurpuris. And what we do is that we put personnel uh, or competence into uh, real est- office, offices, real estate. And then we run the gym, uh, well, the training room like a gym. What so, a cool concept. Yeah, it's cool. It's uh, so cool to be like a... Very new thinking. Let's call it a pioneer project. Absolutely, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but these rooms are, uh, yeah, almost nearly all shut down because of the corona. And um, so what we've been working on is getting these people to understand that we can do something digitally. It won't be the same, but it's something. And I think that the most important thing for an employer to consider is that if you give the employees just a tad bit of you're just doing a bit more than is expected, yeah. you'll get a huge return. So they are seen in their struggles at home. They're taken care of in a way, even though maybe it's like 15 minutes every second day. It's so important as an employer that you think of this. Um, so, but, so we're doing some digital work. Um, and it's this really interesting thing that if you're a physio in Norway... You can work. If you're a personal trainer, you can't. <laughs> right. But you do the same thing. Exactly. So it's just... Technicalities. Yeah, technicalities. Semantics, right? Yeah. So that leads... Yeah. Well, now, let me ask you this. How are your clients, uh, your corporate clients, uh, reacting to the change in what you're offering them? I don't know how it works You, if you have a contract with them, you know, and they're used to you being there, running their, their, their little gym unit at their business but now all of a sudden it has to be done digitally about you know yeah. by, by how do they react to that well uh, what actually uh, i see some do they say screw screw this this isn't what we're paying for goodbye or yeah. no they're they're not and and most of our services actually uh towards all the persons uh in that building so they're paying themselves Right? Okay. So the em- employer is not always paying. I see. Uh, what I do see is that when we came up with this digital program, many of the people who wouldn't dare to meet us in person are now contact- contacting us via Microsoft Teams, and we have a, a, a consultation. Oh, it's an interesting thing. Because, because you get, the, get this distance, which they need. You have that fearful person who's ne- maybe a woman who's never been in a gym before. Yeah self-conscious about their physique maybe 
So maybe the video, the distance of the video follow-up is more appealing to them. Yeah, it is. So, and then you have the, the people that need that physical thing, like they're more connected yeah. maybe with themselves and others. And they are out there running now, running wow. their asses off. Um, <laughs> Uh, literally <laughs> losing their ass right <laughs> literally yeah so uh, you know uh, yeah i've been advising a lot of uh, clients uh, on how to put up a training room at home um yeah. uh, some are also keeping the training rooms up and running because a training room is not a training center again semantics semantics and uh, on the other side i'm just you know to get by and going back to my roots yeah I'm more of a personal trainer now yeah. right Oh, yeah. sorry, physio. I'm not doing any violation. <laughs> so I'm I'm training and rehabbing yeah. people uh, out of my garage. <coughs> so I have a uh, quite a few clients. Uh, I'll show you. I'll show you my garage when we're oh, finished. Cool. I'm, I'm yeah. so proud of that. Yeah, I love it. And thank you to a uh, to a common friend that we have, Mr. Daniel Eriksson. Yeah, he's the one who uh, shout out. I, I love that guy. Yeah. I I knew him. I knew him uh, when I started my gyms uh, up north, when I was living up north. This was back in 2007, I believe, when I first met him. Was working for Life? Life, yeah. yeah. And he helped me to, to furnish those gyms with some, with some equipment. So our contact was just by telephone for quite some time. And I ended up coming down south to meet him later, like in 2012, 11 or 12, something like that. And we finally met face to face. And he told me afterwards, I think he told me on the podcast episode that he was so surprised because he thought, uh, you know, when we're on the phone and we're talking and I told him, I'm, you know, I'm from Ohio, uh, you know, grew up out in the country. And somehow it came up that I liked uh, Neil Young's music. He thought I was like this, this simple, like blonde haired, blue eyed, white guy wearing flannel shirts, like a cowboy hillbilly type of guy I'm like, <laughs> and then he sees me and i'm not blonde haired blue I'm, I'm kind of a hillbilly but you're not kind of uh, <laughs> billy ray cyrus is, <laughs> the, is the first thing I, i'm thinking about now. so uh, shout out to daniel yeah. I, I love that guy yeah it is so you have a business cooperation with him now do you yeah. not how, I, how does that work what is that all about well i, I i'm in contact. O- only only tell us if it's legal yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm uh, talking to you know the owners of these office buildings mm-hmm. huge real estate companies and what they usually do is like they contact a sales a salesperson of fitness equipment and tell them to come in and they come with an offer on what they should put in there. Yeah. Thing is that you can't really trust that. Uh, they're they're thinking of margins. They're thinking economy. Mm. While I come in there and I, based on my, I don't know, experience and uh, know how, I tell them or with Daniel draw out what I feel. Okay. Is the best solution of this room. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a. And then you take that plan to Daniel, and then he makes it a reality with the equipment that yeah. Ali- that Alico has. Yeah. And yeah. then we we give them a good offer, uh, as long as they're using me. Yeah. They get like a certain uh, discount on that, which they wouldn't get. Right. Elsewhere. Right. So that's a good yeah, arrangement. But you know, Alico is it's expensive. Sure, it is out there, but it's equally good. That's what, I, that's what I was going to say. My, my whole thing with, with starting my home gym here in my garage was to have something, uh, f- first of all, because everything shut down when Corona first got big here in Norway. And I said, I can never, be, you know, I have goals. I have things I want to do and I cannot be in a situation where I can't train. I, that's just not acceptable. 
And right away I thought of Daniel and Alaiko because my thing was I wanted to have equipment. I wanted to have a training um, uh, possibility that is exactly like what I'm going to see at a competition. And uh, the IPF uses Alaiko equipment, you know, Alaiko plates and all that stuff. This sounds like a commercial for Alaiko. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting paid, people. I'm not getting paid to say this. <laughs> but, uh, but, but right away, I thought of Daniel and, and Alaiko. And I'm so glad I did that. And their philosophy is so appealing. It's down to earth. It's a family company. Still. I was just gonna, yeah, it is. Yeah. I was just gonna say their philosophy basically is Daniel's personality. He is the most yeah. approachable guy the kindest guy, and he has your best interests in heart. It's genuine. It's a, it's a genuine family. I, 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 I talk to him like he's my brother. He's, he's, just, he's just a good guy. He is. So when I think of Alaiko, I think of Daniel. How, how's that for a commercial? Yeah. When you think of Alaiko, think of Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> such a great guy. <laughs> no, but, but, but in all seriousness, he, he is such a good ambassador for Alaiko. Yes. Strong is happy. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that's their uh, motto and... Couldn't. But that's a good uh, that's a good business arrangement you have with them then. Yeah, it is, and we are, and we can sell it or we can provide it with with our heads up high, right? This is the best. Yes. And uh, then it's I'm not a salesperson. I couldn't just do that with any piece of equipment. No, and you have got, to believe in what yeah, you're selling. And I've gotten good offers from other providers, but it's not even an option. I need no. to touch that bar and feel yes. it's the best. Yeah, and it is. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't see myself training with anything else. And they have ethical. Uh, I think that's important. Uh, ethical, moral uh, responsibility, which they adhere to. Their their production is in Sweden. Yeah, and they have some elsewhere in Europe. They're looking after their employees. Uh, they're thinking about the environment. It's not just profit. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah. Well, they hold themselves accountable because it is truly a family business. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much I should reveal, but but <clears throat> if Corona wouldn't have gotten in the way, I was I had a, a little arrangement with uh, with Alaiko where I was going to, um, in a sense, take over their social media and and give you know seminars and some training videos and talk with some of their people that follow them on, on social media, but then Corona came up and yeah. so that got in the way. We're, we're going to come back to that though. That's going to be fun. Yeah, you should. So I, I, I believe in the Lyco. I believe in that company. They're, they're good people. Yeah, they are. Uh, both Daniel and also the, 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 the people in Sweden. Yeah. And they're, they, yeah, it still sounds like a commercial though. <laughs> but, I, but, but this I is, swear I'm not getting paid to no, say but these but things. This is, yeah, <laughs> we're kind of lifters, yeah, right? Yeah, we're, we're interested yeah, in lifting. Yeah. So a like will come up. And when they get an innovation, it's not for the sake of innovation. It's just a really good or better product. Like yeah. the Öppen, you know, yes. the new, uh, what's it called? Trap bar? Yeah. Which is no longer a trap bar because it opened. I was just going to say it's more, so much more yeah. than a trap bar. So it's now you can, you can do lunges in the trap bar. You can do so many variations. And what they did is genius. They just moved, took away one side of it yeah. and kept the balance of it. And then, that's, that's, that's genius. It's that, so simple. And no one thought about it. It's so simple and no one thought of, of it until they did. Yeah. I, I'd love to have one of those. I don't really, well, I'll show you afterwards. I, I'm a little bit limited on space. I'm very limited on space in my garage. But that bar, I, I would love to have that bar. Yeah. I'm just not sure that I have the room to, to be able to use it. 
Ah, we'll see. You're the expert. You'll tell me when we go see. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you have, um, so you have this cooperation with Aleiko. You're helping uh, these businesses not only to uh, to train their employees, but to furnish their locations. Um, what kind of results are you seeing? How? Wh- why? Why should these businesses have this cooperation with you? What do What do they gain? from you being involved with their employees and their health? It's many aspects. Uh, they can outsource the focus on mental and physical uh, health in a way. So, you know, like, let's take this back to what I said about 90-10, right? Yeah. 90% is how I care for them and their um, their growth within themselves and 10% mm-hmm. is training. And many employees need the same care from their employer. But that's difficult, right? When you're a CEO or a CFO, you're crunching numbers and you have these uh, ridiculous demands from the board. It's difficult to uh, put your arm around Anne and tell her it's going to be okay through your divorce. So they're (laughs) kind of outsourcing that with us. So smart. We have room for that. Just think about that for a second. Think about how much productivity can be lost if those kind of things are not taken care of in some way. Yeah. Wow. And then, uh, of course it's profitable for them to, to be in, in, in business with you. Yeah, absolutely. And when you, when you also look into the numbers, you see that when it comes to sick leave, yeah, 10% of all the workers at a place, uh, makes out 60% of the sick leave. Uh-huh. And these people are afraid of training. They won't train, they're afraid, uh-huh. they're in pain, or whatever. So imagine what will happen if we can reach that 10%. So that's our goal. So I'm a business owner. <clears throat> um, and let's say, let's, let's say I'm a podcasting production company, and I have, uh, I have uh, 45 employees between podcasters and production people. And uh, I'm a newly started business and you find out about my business and then you want to have some sort of cooperation with me. Yeah. How do you approach me? What do you tell me? Uh, yeah. I t- uh, well, first of all, I, I'm, I will see and affirm your issues with taking care of the emotional aspects of your employees. And I can, I can tell you that we could help you with that. Yeah. Actually, without any cost. You need to grant us access to your training room and they will come to us and they will pay themselves because they're just happy that someone is there acknowledging that they have problems or issues they need to sort out, either mental, physical or whatever. So so, so only investment I have to be concerned with, fi- financial investment I'm concerned with as a business owner is to provide the space for the training room and to buy the equipment. Yeah. And then my employees will then just pay you direct. Yeah. And then we wow, also... What a concept. Of course. Who's going to say... No, what business owner is going to say no to that? No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. You can't and lose. Then that you can't e- lose. Each and every tenant company within an office building uh, w- will have the possibility to buy tailored programs or tailored groups. So what we do is we do a macro analysis, which we talk to the HR and the, and the leaders of the mm-hmm. company. Okay, wh- where are the issues? For, for a construction company, it's neck, back. Oh, yeah. Real, yeah. Like, like physical issues. Direct physical issues. Yeah, and let's say for a clothing company, at any time there's 30 pregnant women. 
which needs to be taken care of, right? So we need to tailor. Yeah. We can't come with our uh, own products, like, for instance, Sats or whatever, like uh, uh, Build and Burn or Boot yeah. Delicious and yeah. all, all that. That's just scary. <laughs> yeah, right? it is. It, it is. is. Then we won't reach the target group, which we have set. So we call it, like, the groups are really down, mellow. You have strength, endurance. You have yoga. Something that's approachable Pilates, yeah. for the common person. Pilates. And then our, our specific groups for pregnancy, heart issues, because we employ physios. How, and how, many, how many are you in your, in your company? Uh, around 10. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Around 10. Uh, you know, they are, they are self-employed. Okay. Okay. So it's a conglomerate. It's like a collective yeah. of uh, of individuals who are just pooling their resources. Then yeah. it's not actually they're not actually your employees. They're more of your they're more of your coworkers. Yeah, in a way, yeah. because yeah. So we make the deal. We send out the bill to the companies and the uh, individuals training, and our employees send us their bill. I see. So they don't need to keep cra- track of anything, but working and providing quality yes so that's the business model we, we so simple and again it sounds like it, you know what business owner would say no to that what, no. a, what an opportunity to clean up in some issues before they even become issues within a company yeah and, and we start out from the standpoint of giving so we provide uh, lectures for free which an, anyone can come because we do know that there needs to be established some kind of connection between the user and us. I see. Some kind of emotional, professional, yeah. whatever the person in front of you needs. And they need, someone can go past us when we're on the stand and just book their okay. session. Because yeah. they're like... Outgoing. Because it's that easy. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. they're like yeah. that. Yeah. Others need to pass us 25 times yeah. and look at your face and say hi and all that before they like have the confidence and the trust in us to come and that's why I like the, the the way you describe, you know, just what you, what you, you know, you're not using these these alarmist terms, you know, boot, the booty blaster, and you know, <laughs> you know, you're keeping it approachable for those people who may be afraid, those people who maybe have never seen the inside of a gym before. Yeah. What a, what a great concept. It's really important. And I feel it like our responsibility. Okay, the huge uh, business in this is to reach the ones that really love training and but the commercial gyms does that we wouldn't yeah. stand a chance if we w- yeah. wanted to do that but you're, fun- you're, you're something totally it's a totally separate it, it's you know i almost don't like it when people use the term the training branch yeah. it's because it's 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 yeah. not just one thing no. you're a totally different aspect of yeah. that i would like put us in between uh, a commercial gym and a place of doctors and physios like yeah. it, right in between there where some, and it's a good place to be it sounds like it's a it's a it's a unique offer it's empty it's all echoes and that's ah, awesome yeah so so you and you're you are the brain behind this you're the one that thought of of this concept yeah i don't know what happened maybe i had a stroke or something yeah because that's i'm, I'm just wondering where does that kind of thought process to me that's very motivational very inspirational i like people who think different yeah i like to consider myself a deep thinking guy i'm always you know trying to cook up a new <laughs> concept yeah. or something new to think on or new to do. And I never would have come across yeah. the concept that you describe. I think it was just 
a result of me. I, I trained people at a, a training facility, commercial gym, right? And then I had some some clients who were kind of private and whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I went to their house. And they wanted it there. Uh, trained them. And That's a good market, home training. Yeah. It is. It's it is. Uh, upcoming. And I, I've been there for a while. And then I had some clients who wanted to work out at their workplace. So I was like kind of all over the place. What I saw is that, okay, the commercial gyms, the quality of the personal training, everything is going up, 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 up. It's getting better, right? But I went to the workplace. I just saw it was kind of the wife of the CFO, who kind of liked training, (laughs) did a circuit. And for me, with a long education, all my experience, I was like, okay, this Mm. is not what should be. And and I looked around on all... What you see is uh, some of these commercial gyms have uh, a corporate fitness strategy, which is they sell their product. They say, booty delicious. <laughs> they come in, they do the session, and then they go out. So I was thinking like, okay, what if we stayed there? What if we listened to people? What yeah. if we took care of them? What if that was the only place our employees were and they considered their workplace to take care of these people? And that was... Um, yeah, that was the start of it, and it just kind of blew, just blew up. up from there. Yeah, it, does, it did. I'm fortunate to have a client which is an owner of office building, and he just wanted a new training room. Yeah. And I, I went in, and I kind of did my thing, talked to Daniel, and what was the result of that room was much better than any gym. And I was like... <laughs> how, how long ago was this? When was this? Uh, three years. Three yeah, years three ago. years ago. Yeah. And now I was like, oh, we should p- put people here. Then we can serve all the employees of the uh-huh. building. We can take care of the equipment. Because if we go to any training room, it's like 50% of the equipment is out of order, needs service. Yeah. But we will also stay there and like look after everything. So, so what, was that proper. then, was that the beginning three years ago? Was that the beginning of this collective of physios? Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. 10 of you within three years. Wow. That's progress. It is. It is. It's, How much bigger do you think it'll get? For you personally, I think we can scale this uh, quite quite big. We're starting off in Bergen now. Uh, we have we have uh, a deal done in Stavanger actually, and we, we never managed to start it. And what you can do is you can scale it within each company. I see. We started with Entra uh, down at Hamnelagra. We didn't get that far before Corona came, but that's a company that owns. Havnegata, uh, that's over by Akkerbrygge. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, by, by Barcode, Björvik. Yeah, 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 Barcode. Sorry. Uh, and uh, I'm not too familiar with Oslo, actually. But that, yeah, Barcode. So they have yeah. that building, but they also have, listen to this, 1.2 million square meters of office buildings. Really? In Norway. Oh. So we, can, we can scale within each real estate company. Well, then you would have to start recruiting a lot of physios and... In, in the interest of diversity, if you ever need a black American to add to yourself, <laughs> give me a call. Absolutely. We are a diverse company. See, we have John here, our token, token black. <laughs> <laughs> we need him. We need him. <laughs> yeah, but that is the biggest issue, actually. Yeah, really? Yeah, is because it? we need a quality that's kind of above average right? when it comes to qualification. And then, unfortunately, many qualified people are, I wouldn't say assholes, but p- 
people we don't want. I see. Okay. What are you looking for? What are they? What are they not doing? Or if they come to me and are convinced that their way of doing it is oh. the rule, then we have a problem. Yes. Well, it goes back to that ignorance thing because I, I I call ignorance that is the lack of the willingness to accept new knowledge. Yeah. That's ignorance. Yeah. And unfortunately, that almost always applies to young people oh, uh, yeah. which is are the ones we need so they will learn and they will get more humble but then it's too late right? so you're looking for that person who is maybe newly educated in the field uh obviously intelligent but they have a certain humility they're humble and they're aware that yeah. there's more information out there that's who you're looking for then. yeah and they need to be kind of adventurous yeah not scared just put themselves out there and oh man, that, uh, and that's, that's got to be self-fulfilling right there to be in a position where you're looking for those kind of people just to, and, th and then to find those kind of people. Yeah. I'm what so, a good yeah. human. And I'm really uh, blessed with a co-worker of mine called Tore Martin. He's a partner in the company. And, Tore Martin, uh, what's his last name? Tore Martin Otterstad. He's a Shout osteopath. osteopath uh, Physical therapist and personal trainer. Okay. Like, there you go. Give him a shout out so people know who yeah, he is. Yeah, the best guy of them all. And uh, he does um, a lot of the interviews and hiring. Okay. And the reason is that I'm too emotional. Really? Yeah. I get angry. <laughs> I get happy. And I get sad on the same scale, right? A little, so, a little ADHD? A little. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Highly. So, and that's my problem. So, okay. maybe from one statement from... A guy, I can be like, no <laughs> effing way. Yeah, yeah. And the same, on the other hand, yeah, this is great. But I haven't gone in depth, right? I make a conclu conclusion what? too early in that, in that environment or in that situation I do. I wouldn't say that's my philosophy. It clearly ain't. But uh -huh. I, can, I can, yeah. But that says a lot about you that you can say that. Yeah. A lot of people won't admit that they have that shortcoming. No, it's it's a shortcoming, definitely. And a lot so of people I, won't speak on it, but you you are absolutely. And I need Tore Martin because he's much more analytical, much more laid back, yeah. listening, not concluding that fast. Right. And and it's show that he, the ones he comes back to me and says, "Well, this is the person." Isn't that great to have a a, a, a working relationship with someone who counterbalances? The shortcomings that you have, and I'm sure you do the same for him. Yeah. Uh, not to sound all sweet and sugary, but that's what I have in my marriage with my wife. Yeah. She's uh, she's everything that I'm not, and I'm everything that she isn't. Yeah. And and it makes us fit together. Yeah, just, just it's, like it's my a, relationship with yeah. my wife. Hi, Stina. I love you. Hello, Stina. Uh, he loves you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. I'm like the ADHD personality, right? I'm That's all me. over the place. I'm like I told you, we there. have a lot in common. Yeah, listen to me. <laughs> I uh, listen to me. I have this creative uh, thought, right? Yeah. And that's what 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 made this company and what made me me and what what has kind of resulted in all of these personal trainings. And yeah. I, I don't lose a client. No. No. Never, because they keep evolving, and they found find our relationship. Um, valuable. See, that's a beautiful thing. And again, I see the crossover potential from from the business aspects of that into the daily life yeah. aspects of that. And it's equally valuable to me. Sure. Or else it wouldn't work. They mean a lot to me. Yeah. 
uh, I don't know if you say, I have people valuable in my life and I have people that are just there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I kind of put these people into the same pool as I put like only f like real friends, like I put family. And they're kind of invited into that circle yeah. where I take care of them. But don't you get burned sometimes? Don't you get, doesn't that hurt you sometimes? It's people, ta people take advantage of it, maybe. Yeah, it has happened. Uh, it has happened. And But I, you're willing to stay the same and, and, and still be this open, yeah. uh, accepting person and you pull them into your, into your circle. It's the only way. Yeah. Actually, but uh, actually that came with, a, again, life. Okay. So uh, it, it, that was, that's a process. Yeah. I just chose positivity. At some, you chose positivity. What a way! What a simple way of saying it, but it's so true. Yeah, it is, and just not let anything weigh you down. Yeah. Everything can be solved. That's just, true. Yeah. Sometimes we, you can lose sight of that, but if you always keep it in mind that hey, this is a little rough, but I can find my way out. And again, that comes from experience. That comes from a background of success stories. You know, you've had challenges before, and you just kind of know, hey, this is rough, but I can do this. Yeah. And I have these clients like, I feel so blessed. I started out with them in 06. I'm uh -huh. still working out together. Yeah. And it's like I have this one client, I worked with her, and then I had her daughter, had some issues, I helped her. Uh -huh. Then they have her grandchildren, uh -huh. and I advise her on how to yes. help them with their uh, like obstacles. Uh, And also worked with her uh, husband. He, uh, best guy ever. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, he, firstly, he had a, a cancer, a lung cancer. Um, he came out of that. Then he suffered a huge stroke. Ah, oh, good yeah. Lord. Yeah, in Spain, and he was brought home. Uh, and then he was put in the hospital. He, he, was, he was a business owner as well. He was like really really um a great guy but uh, when he said something he meant it yeah so when he came into the hospital it was like i want my physio here <laughs> and i think he said it that many times that uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah okay and then uh he came back on his feet actually from that stroke but uh unfortunately he uh, had an injury where he broke his femur and then oh. that was the start of the end and then, then he died uh -huh. um And to be there through everything, to be a part of that family, I learned that everyone should be a part of mine as well. Wow, so we what went, a beautiful story. Went through the funeral and I continued working with her, helping her and her rest of the family. And uh, we still have a marvelous um, relationship today. There's a lot of beauty in what you're saying there. You, you, see, I knew we had a few things in common. I knew there was things about you that interested me, but I didn't quite know what they were. And I'm seeing now, as you're telling me these stories uh, and these things and your, your viewpoints on things, you're a person who, in spite of any conflict or, or issues that you may have, you always want to be in a position where you can help others. Yeah. Is that accurate? It's accurate. I'm hugely emotional. Yeah. Hugely. I get I am too, and I'm not I'm not afraid to say it. Good lord, I put no, no. my 
I'm good. I put my heart out there on on several podcast episodes. Uh, uh, but what what is this thing with men who are afraid to to admit that they are emotional? They're afraid to admit that they have feelings. What is that? Yeah, they only show one feeling, which is anger yeah. and uh, aggressive uh, to be aggressive, and um, that's 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 their armor, right? Mm -hmm. That's the armor, and it's all cultural. I it's think all so. learned behavior because you, what the one you look up to is the same, right? Yeah. Usually, uh, yeah, someone in close family, yeah. and uh, but then you start tapping into that softer side, right? And then you feel that growth from actually uh, recognizing that that is important. Yeah. That makes you a whole person. You've been kind of hiding a huge part of you yeah. in aggression. And then you, get, you just feel how much that is helping your relationships to yeah. others, yeah. how that is giving you life quality, even your sleep. I yeah. never spend more time than five seconds falling asleep. Ah. And that comes... So you literally sleep like a baby. I love it. Every single night. Yeah. Never, ever spending time. And that because when I go to bed, I know I've done my best. Even though th things go to hell, but I've done my best. Man, that's... Uh, Always. That's so beautiful to hear you say that. There's not a lot of people who can say that. No. Uh, you said a while ago, you know, you choose to be positive. Um, and we hear so much in daily conversation. If we, if we would just, if we had like a meter that would count points for positive things we hear throughout a day, throughout the day and count negative things that we hear throughout the day, I bet, and this is actually negative to say it, but I think it's the truth. I think that negative meter would have a lot more points than the positive one. People are... People don't speak on the positive often enough. Yeah. And these things that you're saying now are so incredibly positive. It's, it's, uh, it shouldn't surprise me to hear these things, but it does because people don't say these things often enough. I talked to a real estate guy just a, couple, just a week ago, and he said something really interesting. He said that you're so lucky to always work in a win-win situation. Yeah. And I was like, how come? What do you mean? He's like, in business, you're always a winner. And a loser. The winner almost takes it all and the loser has to pay. That's business. Well, I get money and the client gets better. Gets a better life. Always. Good so, point. So that's good a blessing. Point. That's a blessing. And, uh, well, it's a good business branch uh, to be in. You're, you are in the business of helping people and there's nothing negative about that. No, it isn't. It isn't. So, uh, yeah, so fortunate, so blessed. Because when you make that commitment or choice of your future and your education you're not you don't know this no, no no you take a chance right you're rolling the dice yeah so that's uh, that's fate that's that's really fate and uh so you couldn't see yourself doing anything else oh no, no i was is... uh, actually when i chose this uh like physio i was like okay that's like a clinical profession it's highly respected that would be good but then you get into it and like oh my skills now, what I learned <laughs> at uni is, is practically nothing. Well, it gives you a base and confidence. Sure. But then you start working with people and you get that, okay. And there's the real work. Yeah, yeah. The anatomy is whatever. Yeah. yeah. Anybody can open a book and read and yeah, learn yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. That's it's, that, it's that people connection. Yeah. It's the actual 
helping of people. Yeah. That's where the real learning begins. Yeah. And that's a never ending process. Yeah. Every day you do this, you're going to learn more. Every Absolutely. day you do this, you're going to be better. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and now I could Isn't go. that cool? Just yeah. think about that. Isn't that cool? It's so that's cool. Just... And I could go on and on and on <laughs> on this. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm, and I'm so sad that it's so difficult to learn to pass on because they have to experience. You just have to do it actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I was working as a lecturer, um, in, um, uh, like personal training school. Uh, and I so much wanted to bring this message across. But then I realized that the people receiving the message wasn't in a state where they can take it in oh. and apply it. So, but I did my best. But yeah. I came to a point where I can't do this. It's just wrong. <laughs> because I can't give them what I want. Because they just wanted a base of uh, executing and uh, not a base of connecting. Interesting. It's all about sales, right? It, yeah. And it's all about sales. And, yeah. and the uh, also the, the schools of personal training, they just want to put people through. And yeah, what is this thing? Money, Isn't right? there, there's, there's some uh, personal training education you can get where you go away to uh, Bali. Yeah. For like 30 days, 60, something like that. And you come back in your personal trainer and you know, you're like a, you know, a 19, 20 year old with no life experience. Mm -hmm. And I would guess that it's a crappy (laughs) PT education. Yeah. They probably spend more time surfing (laughs) than, than learning how to be a personal trainer. Of course. Then they come back and I don't know. I hope they're not polluting the, the fitness training PT world with oh. bad knowledge. I hope they're not doing that. I'm just a little skeptical of that pathway to them getting into that position to so profoundly affect people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of scary. And it's a little scary. Yeah. But what do you see? Fortunately, is that the people getting into this on the wrong reasons? They probably fall to the wayside. They fall to the wayside quite fast, okay. actually. So okay. the ones living off of this, they have uh, more or less the same philosophy of taking care of people. They, those yeah. are the ones staying because right. each and every client they get, they stay. They stay. Yeah. And well, that, the clients aren't stupid. They see the difference in yeah. quality. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the quality of caring, not the quality of training. They're quite a similar one. Gone to the same school. They know the same shit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't want to trash the personal training industry because there's no, and so I, I many... No, and I'm very careful about doing that, but, but then again, there is a difference. You see the people who are truly qualified and those who are not. Yeah, you can see it immediately. Uh, those who are committed and those who are just in it for a paycheck. Yeah, so many of the trainers are scared of the clients being unhappy of the results. So they're not... It's brick by brick, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to go the route. And, but so what is your responsibility then? Well, it's to, understand, uh, to, to, ex, to educate their client on why. And that the process is valuable yeah. to them. Yeah. And that takes skillful talk sure. and sincerity in, in that wish for, uh, for them. And it takes experience with other pe- of dealing with other people. Yeah, absolutely. You can't come out of school 
a fresh personal trainer and and know how to do that. No. That's something you have to find out along the way. But they could mention it <laughs> yeah, at school. Yeah, right? it would be nice. <laughs> yeah, because sales sales is emotion. Sure. Yeah. You said you're married. Yeah. How long have you been married? Five years. What's your wife do for a living? Uh, she works for in a kindergarten. Oh. Yeah, right now she's uh, out there sick. She had some issues, and <laughs> most recently she dislocated her shoulder, actually. Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, she was... A sister in shoulder problems. <laughs> yeah, she was working out, getting there. She was so good going like three times a week in the garage and really, really... I don't know, like the word, but grinding. Yeah. Uh, and then she just Making wanted, progress wanted to do a snatch with a dumbbell. <sighs> yeah. It get, went kind of to the side, right? Yeah. And then it popped. Oh, man. And she didn't just uh, injure her rotator cuff, but the ligaments of the shoulder oh. and the auxiliary nerve. Oh, and an, oh, gosh. So and the nerve. The deltoid is turned off, right? So, yeah, it's, I feel so sorry for her. Uh, that's hard to watch because you get from this positive, hugely <laughs> yeah, positive wise, yeah. finally I'm there where I've worked out for like half a year, really methodically getting into it and it's part of life and then you get that huge. How's she doing now though? She Is she on her way back or? Uh, she's getting, this happened in September. Um so still she's fresh. she's getting better, but she's she still doesn't know the root. Uh, that's her big issue. Back to I, I actually dare to say this: that women are in greater need of security than men. I think so. I think so as well. So, so uh, her not knowing where this is going is a big issue. So she went to the ortho, orthopedist and. And the neurologist, and they kind of made the probably had a meeting and made an assessment, but they haven't called her yet, and that's a big problem. Yeah, for yeah. me it wouldn't be right because right. I'm different. And it's all about personality and security. But I understand her. Sure, I, I sure. get where I get where she she's from. Right? Oh, so do I. Good lord. <laughs> yeah. Share my story with her about my shoulder. Maybe maybe there's something in there she can yeah get Absolutely. some comfort from. Yeah, work around. Work around it. These ladies in our life, though, my, uh, my, I call my wife Snoopy, which I got from uh, when Hege, yeah, uh, yeah. when Hege introduced me to her. This is way back in, I think it was 1997 or 98. Um, my wife, who at that time I didn't know, was coming to, she came to Chicago to visit Hege, right? They're lifetime friends they've been. She's a powerlifter or just knew Hege? She, she's just a... Well, she actually was, I think she was the first female to ever get uh, her diving, scuba diving certificate. Uh Wow. Uh, And I think she was only 15 or 16 when she did that. Wow. uh, In Norway. She's also, she was also at one point known as the most active aerobics instructor in Drummond. She used to have like uh, you know f- five and six aerobic hours a day. Wow! At a, at a gym here in Drummond, so she has a fitness background. She's not she's never been a powerlifter. She's never competed in bodybuilding or body fitness or anything. 
uh, but she has a f- definite fitness background. She's out in the woods right now. She's been sending me photos. Oh, nice. She's out in the woods. I'm surprised she was sending me photos because she was going to go somewhere way up in uh, Finnmark without cell phone coverage, she said. I was there uh, two days ago. Okay, yeah, well, that's, that's where she's somewhere up there. And, uh, but somehow she's, she still has uh, cell phone coverage. Cool. So she's been sending me photographs. I told her, don't uh, don't kill anything. <laughs> she's a tough little... Uh, yeah, I go in there to try woman. to kill something. I'm hunting. You go hunting up there, yeah? yeah? But, yeah. Uh, moose? Uh, no, birds. Uh, oh, man, you got to go for moose. Yeah, yeah. Go for the big game. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'll get there next year, for hopefully. Are there currently any wolves up there? There's been wolves that come through there from time to time. Yeah, from... T- but they're like, no, I think they're they're loners, right? Yeah, just they, a loner that comes yeah. in from Sweden, maybe. Yeah, uh, well, they are in Norway now. So what, what usually happens, what, what I understood, sorry to all the biologists out there, is that you get, get a male wolf and tries to, like, come into a pack yeah and that male there gives him a real beating and then he <laughs> leaves to find another pack and try so yeah. these are wanderers like and they see. can they could like keep 10 kilometers per hour for yeah. days yeah yeah that's why what they a tough it. animal yeah it's it's so beautiful yeah it's a shame that people are so anti-wolf in norway yeah. people all these all the farmers want to I get it. They're killing their sheep, but but yeah, what happened yeah. to the old days where you had a dog and you had uh, the sheep herder, the shepherd who was actually out, you know, in this, the wilderness taking care of the sheep? Why can't they is, go back to those days? Uh, this is Why do they have to kill the wolves? This is kind of the huge circle of life, I guess, because yeah. we're producing meat now for a ridiculously low price. Okay, people, you shouldn't pay what we're paying for like a kilo of yeah. lamb meat. Yeah. So what they need to do is to make the production costs zero to nothing in order for them to uh, have any income on it. Then you can't have a shepherd out there 24-7. Right. And then you have the, well, a wolf isn't tame. No. No. A so wolf does, what, what gets me is they know... Uh, uh, they expect the wolf to know these boundaries, these geographic boundaries. You know, they say you can have so many wolves in Hedmark. Yeah. Okay. Did anybody tell the wolves that? Oh, no, that's <laughs> the thing. And you if know, I were to send my kids to the bus stop when it's dark in the middle of the forest, that's where I live. And you know there are wolves. That's not a good feeling. I get that. Feel, no. I get that. I do. I do. Absolutely. And <sighs> yeah, if the on top of that, killing their livelihood. This is, okay, I get it, I get it, but I, I don't know what to do, because I feel wolves belong in the ecosystem. So we That's need- my main concern, is that we're, we're screwing around with the, na- the natural order of things. I guess I'm thinking, why can't they hire, you know, I'm sure there's some, uh, some kid who, you know, maybe for a year before he goes off to college, you know, he's finished with high school, but he doesn't go, want to go to college yet, he'll take that job live in a tent, you know, for the summer yeah. uh, and, 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 you know, and, and have, have a dog with him and live in a tent and, and take care of the sheep. Yeah. Wait, so pay, it, uh, pay, him, pay him for that. And then, okay. And then we, the consumer, first of all, I don't like sheep meat. I think it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the, that's one of the only things my wife and I argue about is when she wants to have uh, uh, for the call, yeah. Uh, yeah, things like that. The speck, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I just think it's so, She's got like a whole, the, the, the ass end of a sheep hanging from a hook in the kitchen for a month. Yeah. yeah. 
And I, oh God, it's just disgusting. She's such a savage. <laughs> so, so, but but for those who <laughs> for those who do eat sheep meat, I think, don't you think that we would be willing? They would be willing to pay. I don't, I don't know twenty kroners extra for a kilo of sheep's meat to Absolutely. cover the cost of paying a shepherd. Absolutely. I just wish. I just wish they would just. Put that, process, put that process in, 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 into the spin of things. And the interesting thing is, like, take this into consideration, right? People in Oslo, we talk about, a lot about, or here down south, we talk a lot about how we should preserve the life of a wolf <laughs> and everything. But we're not living there. Exactly. And the people living with wolves, they have strong opinions on how we should uh, deal with immigration. Immigrants is not living there. So we're talking about things we don't know. Exactly. That's why I need I stay humble I guess, when it comes to this. Yeah, and I and I matters. humbly and I humbly throw a suggestion out there that that uh these sheep farmers um let it be government subsidized. Norway has a lot of money. Here here we go. Subsidize um the cost of hiring a shepherd to live out in the wilderness for the summer. And the government, in a way, can get that money back if, let's say, the price, the kilo price for sheep meat has to go up by 20 kroners. Yeah. And if the government gets back through a tax 10 of those 20 kroners mm. and the rest goes to the shepherd. Yeah. I mean, isn't, isn't, isn't everybody happy then? The wolf can stay. The sheep are protected. Of course, you'll still lose sheep, but they're better protected because you have a shepherd with a dog out there. And the government gets a little money back. And the thing is that the government is paying for each and every animal killed by the wolf today. They're compensating that instead yeah. of getting... I think they're doing it backwards. I think they're yeah, just... In a way, yeah. I think so. Uh, uh, I, should run for, I should run for uh, yeah, yeah. political <laughs> office. You do that. <laughs> I no, vote I for you. I don't, think I, I, don't, I don't think I could do it. No, no. I know it's too Snoopy. Hard. Snoopy has uh, has it. I keep calling my wife Snoopy. You know, I was in the middle of telling you why I call yeah, her yeah, Snoopy. Yeah, yeah, you were. Wow, um, <laughs> two guys with uh, ADHD type <laughs> personalities here. <laughs> Twenty minutes later, I come back to the point. No, um, so my wife came to visit Haga uh, way back then, and and of course, you know, I'm living in the Chicago area. I don't know any Norwegian, and so Haga and I are in the gym training. My wife walks in. Of course, I didn't know her at the time. And Hege shouts out across the gym, Hey, Snoopa. Snoopa. Oh, yeah, Snoopa. And I heard her say Snoopa, which for those who are not Norwegian or Scandinavian, Snoopa is like sweetheart or, or hey, girlfriend or, you know, sweetie or whatever. Yeah. Hi, Snoopa, she says. So my wife comes in all the way into the gym, gives Hege a hug. And, and then Hege says, yeah, here's, here's my friend I want you to meet. And I said, yeah, hi, Snoopy. My name is John. <laughs> That's the first day I met my wife. <laughs> So ever since then, she's been Snoopy. That's so funny, <laughs> Snoopy. That's that's her. Cool. Oh, she's out, out. She's out there. She's very much a wilderness. Uh, she is a Norwegian who loves the land. Yeah. Uh, every chance she gets, she's she's out there. She'll go out camping uh, with the kids. Uh, um, yeah, she's a she's like a little mountain goat. She. If we go out for a walk, and if she really wants to push it, she just runs me into the ground. I cannot keep up with her. She's just so yeah. quick with walking. She's a tiny little thing. Yeah, yeah. She's but like, she has mm. a background as well, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Which is yeah. uh, the roots is in yeah. ingrained in nature, I guess. She's she's like um, she has this savage side to her that makes me very glad that 
that uh, she's on my side. <laughs> but but then she has this underside of of it's almost like a classic hippie kind of kindness and yeah. open. She's the most dynamic person I've ever met in my life. Such a savage, but such a sweet thing at the yeah, same time. Yeah. It's, it keeps things interesting. Yeah. But so that's why that's why you didn't meet her coming here today. She's she's been out, been out walking and exploring the wilderness out there. That's so cool. Yeah. It's so it's such a cultural ingrained thing to use the nature in Norway. I think it's she's a very cultural, if I can put that in air quotes, very cultural Norwegian. She's very much about uh, the land yeah. and uh, natural resources and things like that. Yeah. I think that's one of the things we should be most proud of as Norwegian sexual. Oh, yeah. The way we use nature and not abuse is huge. It's a beautiful country. I've I've seen so much of Norway. You know, having our home up on uh, Seiland, up in Finnmark. Yeah. And we, we drive when we go up there and just driving through Norway and experiencing Norway and the, the small little villages and the way people live uh, and people do live quite differently yeah. when you get out into the districts. So uh, for me, it's so appealing. It's, it's um, my heart is up at our place in, yeah. in, in, uh, in, uh, in Finnmark on Ceylon. I, I enjoy living here in Drammen, but uh, uh, I would much rather be up there. That's yeah. where my heart is. Yeah. yeah. I understand yeah. that. It's just, yeah. We're gonna get up there, uh, get up there this summer. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Unless I get another operation. Well, I'm going to get another operation. So the timing of it will decide whether or not yeah. I'm able to get up there. I sat here uh, two summers ago, uh, newly operated in my shoulder, and I sat here alone for uh, what they were gone for like two months, two and a half months. Wow. Up at our place, up on Silent, I sat here and was getting home delivery of my groceries from Mini, yeah. <laughs> the home delivery and healing up. So that's been the story of my life for the last couple of years. This shoulder has really twisted up my, uh, my life, yeah. but it's a process. Actually, you can't live with a banged up shoulder because it affects your uh, everyday health so people, much. People don't really get that. Um, yeah. You know what I've noticed is balance. My balance is off. Yeah. Think about it. When you walk, you have a natural swing. Mm to your arms and I can't do that. There's nothing natural about this arm, about this shoulder. You see, as we sit here, I have to, yeah, yeah. I almost, I almost should have a sling yeah. all the time so that when I'm sitting, if I have the opportunity to support my, I'm supporting my arm on a chair for those who, who aren't here, uh, supporting my arm on a chair because the weight of my arm hanging down yeah. pulls on that cuff and pulls on that tendon transfer. And it's just, it's hell. <laughs> it's hell. And it's not, it's the joint of our body that creates the biggest amount of pain. Back it, injuries. It, uh, because it's, it's such a complex joint. And there's is. so much movement involved. So, of course, when it's messed up, there's so many different ways it can hurt. Yeah. And <laughs> it affects your neck in a huge way when it comes to nerve activation. And uh, it really it shoves you down. It's it's so, and after the surgery as well. I think you can agree on this. The pain is well. Yeah, it's there. The pain is an issue, but I tell you, I uh, uh, the the idea of being on those opiate painkillers scares the living daylights yeah. out of me. So after this last operation, which was the worst operation I've ever had for my shoulder, the most complex, the most painful. I was actually on painkillers for the shortest amount of time. I think I was four days. 
Opiate. Four days on Oxy or Oxycontin or Oxy. Four days, and that's it. And they wanted me to be on it for two, up to two months. Yeah. Then I'm you like, have, no, yeah. I just I can't do that. Then you I have need to, to go down. It's like well, I was thinking I need to be able to function. Those, those that that medicine knocks me out. All I want to do is sleep. I can't think straight, and I couldn't imagine being on it for two months and then worrying about coming off of it. Yeah. Just but, look at what what uh, Oxy has done to America. Some states. Well, exactly. It killed. It killed my son. Um, well, I don't want to say oxy killed my son, but but heroin was his main thing. But but at times he supplemented it with these easily available opiate painkillers. Potato, potato, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. So yes, it did. It did. Uh, it, it killed my son. It's. Uh, I get it. There's a use for that kind of medicine, but it's it. I can't remember the name of the company, but one of the main oxy producing companies in America just admitted. Johnson, Johnson. Loss, was it Johnson Johnson? They, yeah. they admitted that they have uh, negatively contributed to the health of America. In other words, that they have actually contributed to this widespread addiction problem. Yeah. And now they're going to pay out billions of dollars. Yeah, they are. And good. I'm glad that's happening and because they, they like, are killing people. And they were like, yeah, we'll take the bill. Then Isn't you can, that something? Then you can imagine how much money they made Isn't of it. Isn't that something? Yeah, because they would never admit a loss. I can't remember the numbers, but I'm going to just go off. I think it was four billion. Yeah. And and, and then I was thinking in in, uh, West Virginia, I don't know the numbers, but I'm just going to be irresponsible and throw a number out there. But I want to say that they said that for every West Virginian citizen, there's like over a thousand available Oxy tablets. Isn't that disgusting? Why? 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 Well, why money? Yeah. Uh, But to have a callousness, for the health of the citizenry is absolutely amazing to have such a disregard for their well-being win loss oh. right win yeah, loss it's 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 uh, it's business it's pathetic it's it, it killed my son well so his his own, his own poor yeah thank you his own poor decisions killed him yeah uh, well but, but 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 you get to a point in addiction where your decisions your, your decision making capabilities are gone yeah. because you're in in addiction and then to make those medications so readily available when they are hurting so many people is just, uh, it's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. It's, oh, I can't imagine. I, I stopped drinking, um, three years, four years ago. Good for you. Yeah. And, and the, it was not on the same note as your son. I was not addicted to the substance itself, but I kind of became addicted to, the feeling of uh, well, what it did. I was okay. not shaking on a Monday. It was no. not like that. But I di- I didn't take two beers. I, I see. I, I took see. fifteen. So it, and then uh, how how often was that? Was it just one day in the weekend? Or? Yeah, pro- uh, usually. Okay. But I, I I found myself doing stuff I I wasn't proud of. I uh, and my kind of hyperactive personality get, became even worse. Or. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, harm. I didn't directly harm people, but people around me were. Uh, I see. Concerned, and. Uh, so how did you get the awareness of the fact know. of the fact that there was a problem? I'm I'm such a zero or hundred guy, <laughs> so I was like, I can't decide to. I'll I'll just have a glass of wine. Yeah, yeah. It was cold turkey. I see. Or nothing. Okay. So yeah. yeah. 
That's, and I'm so happy about it now. Good for you. And maybe for like a, a half a year, it's like, oh, I wish I could take that glass of wine now when everyone else is. Well, to Christmas dinner would be nice with a beer. I'm not, I'm just happy now. Just happy well, about it. That's, that's interesting. You kind of talk about, well, are you alluding to that there's pressure from others? Uh, when well, you're in, when you're in, that's strange that you mentioned that because it's like it's always kind of appropriate to ask someone why they're not drinking. That's what I was getting at. Because but it's I, never yeah. appropriate to ask someone why you're drinking. Exactly. Why? And I, I don't drink. Um, I had a my first shot of something. I don't even know what it was. Uh, at my wedding <laughs> with, uh-huh. with Snoop, I had had to get drunk to marry her people. <laughs> no, it, it was just one <laughs> shot of something. I don't even know what it was. And then uh, they they gave me this shot. And then I went to uh, at the wedding. I I performed. I had written a song. And uh, and I, I'm a decent musician, good singer, and everything. But from that one shot mm. into this body that had never had alcohol before. I was so messed up. We have it on film. We filmed it uh, where I was sitting there trying to, <laughs> to play this song and sing to my wife. But, uh, and I was 30, uh, 33 years old. Yeah. First time I got, uh, yeah. I, I never drank when I was a kid. I haven't drank anything since that day. Yeah, it's just never. Yeah. But it's, it's also a cultural thing in Norway. Back to it's very, it's very, very much. It's very much a cultural thing. You get drunk. It's very much a cultural thing. So, and, and then what I was getting at is because I don't drink, I'm not the most sociable guy in the world, but I am out with friends from time to time. And to this day, I've been in Norway for 20 years. I've known some of these people for 20 years, and they still make an issue out of it that I'm not drinking when they are. Still. I think that's... Which is interesting. It's part of the culture. Yeah. 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 I tell them, do you really, do you really want me drunk? As big as I am, strong as I am, <laughs> as volatile as my personality is already, and do you really want me drunk? Yeah, think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's actually because I get kind of intimidating myself. Okay. Without being aggressive, I'm big, and if I'm like all, all over the place, that that's you are a big guy. I could yeah, see, yeah. I could see people being a little scared if you're getting yeah. kind of. It's not good. See, when I'm out entertaining, um, I'm, the, I'm the kind of guy, you know, if I do a stand-up set or if I perform music at a club somewhere, I want to get off the stage and be out the door within 10 minutes. Yeah. And that's usually exactly what I do. Because people, well, picture yourself, you know, if you get some drinks in you and you get a little loud, you get a little physical and stuff. And then imagine someone who's not drinking and then people like that are, oh man, what a great set you did. And they, they want to hug, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, women want to kiss you on the cheek and it's just like, Hey, come on. You know? And yeah. so I, to avoid all of that, yeah. I get off the stage, I put the microphone down and I'm gone within minutes. Yeah. I understand you. I totally do. But I think I'm missing something though. Not, not, not by not drinking, but I think I'm missing something in that social moment that I could have if I could handle not, or if I could handle being around people who are drunk, but I just can't handle it. I mean, if I'm able to be at a distance, in other words, I can go to, um, let's say one of my friends is going to be playing some music. I can go then and be in the audience with those people who are drinking, but see, then I'm not the focus. No. Yeah. 
And that's the difference. But yeah. if I've been on stage, now I'm the focus. And when I get off, I get it. People want to have that social moment with that person who's been on the stage. I get that. Yeah. But I, but, but it's just too much yeah. <laughs> when people are that drunk yeah. as they can get at, at events like that. It's too much. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I have no issue with, with being with drunk friends or whatever, drunk people. <laughs> and I guess that, again... You start drinking when you're 13, 14, and... Yeah, but if it was just my friends, if I was just hanging out with my friends and they were drunk, that's different. That yeah. I can do. Yeah. But if, I'm, if I've been the focus, you know, I've been on the microphone doing stand-up yeah. Or, yeah. or music or something, now I'm the focus, and now strangers who are extremely drunk, who don't know any boundaries, yeah. that's too much for me. Yeah, I do understand. I, fe- I fear that, I guess. I, that, that's the introvert side of me. Mm. I fear that situation, so I just leave. Yeah. <laughs> I get off the mic and I'm gone. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get Elvis it. has left the building. <laughs> black Elvis. <laughs> black El- Black Black John has uh, has left the building. Oh. I miss performing though. I haven't done any stand up in a long time. Why? Because of COVID. Yeah, COVID. Yeah, of course. I have asthma, so I'm in that uh, that risk group. Yeah. And uh, and Snoopy, because of the work she does, she's got to stay healthy. So I don't want to put myself in a situation where I get it and then pass it on to her. Yeah, that's my, my big issue as well. So I've... Like, consider this. You saw the the retirement home, what's it called? Uh, up in Eidsvoll. Yes. 20, uh, 23 uh, residents got, it, uh, got COVID. And eight, nine of them now has died. Yeah. So there's a person who brought that in. And actually, indirectly killed nine people. Yeah. Think about think about being that person. Oh. I feel so sorry for, for her or him. That, that, and, and along good. and along those lines, thank you for coming here and wearing the mask and yeah, accepting yeah. the social distancing and everything. Because a lot of people have a problem with that. But thank you for doing that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't want to be the person who brings it into the house. So I, I've I've stepped back. I haven't done stand up since March of this year. That was the last time I did stand up. You get down about that? Do you really get depressed or? Well, I'm going through. I'm I'm struggling in general. You know, the the my son's death is barely a year old. Oh. So it's been a rough year because of that. Yeah. I don't think. Um, and I was using stand up as medicine against that. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> actually put a uh, part of my stand-up routine has to do with my son's overdose. There's nothing funny about it, but I made it funny. Yeah. Some sort of therapeutic thing I was, I was touching on. So I guess I'm missing out on that to a certain extent. I'm, I'm missing out on that therapeutic thing about being able to get on stage and, and forget about things or work through, not forget about it. It's the opposite. Actually, I was getting on stage and actually working through mm. my depression about my son being gone. So I'm missing something by not doing that through stand-up. But on the other side of it is I've had so much time to do uh, writing, music, songwriting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got a real good gig writing for a very well-known uh, Norwegian artist um, for an upcoming album that they have. I've been writing some of my some new material for my own project. So there's a certain therapeutic thing in that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not the most sociable guy. You know, I love doing this podcast and I love talking with people, but above and beyond that, I have really kind of closed myself in yeah. and just kind of stuck with Snoopy and our two kids. 
Um, and that works for me. Yeah. For the moment, yeah. you know, for the moment. It's a long moment. It's been almost a year. But, you know, in this COVID situation, I fully and easily accept being somewhat isolated because yeah. I think it's for the greater good. Yeah, our, our life is it's the same, you know. I have my daughters and my wife, and our life is at home. It is, yeah. Or out in the nature, right? Yeah. So it's not total, It's not that different from... I get, I get so much satisfaction of that social thing just being with my my wife and our two kids you know we make a big deal about meal time we always sit down and eat dinner together yeah. and uh if we're not getting on the kids about their homework and, and stuff like that yeah. it's a good conversation uh, i actually do even though i'm not doing stand-up i'm writing new stand-up material and a lot of it i test out yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. kids at the dinner table so it's this social bonding i feel so much closer mm. to snoopy and the babies now since corona has been has been in our lives than i did before yeah. so there's a blessing in that actually yeah there's, there's something positive in that always yeah out of everything there's always something positive. like your son's death like you described now so perfectly uh yeah anything can turn into a positive if you if you choose the positive thing with my son's death is that i speak openly about it on this podcast, on a lot of episodes and people are telling me, wow, you know, I went through something similar, John, thank you for showing me that I can talk about it. Yeah. So yeah, what can I say? There's something positive in my son's death. Yeah. It doesn't hurt me to say that. No, no. You know, I think, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and something in his death has opened me up and pushed me to be in an even more, a uh, solid position to be able to share something from that experience with others so that they can have a little bit better life or make it through their trauma a little bit easier. Yeah. So again, there's, there's, there are many positive things in my son's death. Uh, of course it breaks my heart that he's gone. It was a horrible and, and stupid thing to have to experience. Uh, I wish, I wish he didn't make some of the choices he made. Uh, I wish some of the people around him wouldn't have made some of the choices they made that contributed to this, but, but it happened. And, and, and as you say, I choose, I choose positive. Yeah. I'm yeah. quite, quite depressed. I'm not going to lie. I'm very depressed from that, but I'm, 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 my eyes are open to the positive yeah. and I, and I choose to highlight that. Yeah. yeah. I've also experienced that you, you can be positive in depression. Yes. It's, Absolutely. A, it's actually pos- it's actually possible and uh you, you you can really be at a dark place and oh, yeah. really feel down and feel all negative come yeah yeah but you um within that you can recognize growth yes you can recognize your personality taking in yeah. new input and yeah, and I try and I try not to be selfish in my depression. It's I'm trying to, to I'm trying to share it yeah. with others in the hopes that it might help somebody else. Yeah. I don't want to be that selfish depressive who just sits in a dark corner and doesn't no. talk. I do the opposite. I'm speaking on a podcast yeah. where potentially tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people can can hear this. Yeah, yeah. And that's a very conscious thing that I'm doing. It's not by accident that I'm doing it. I, I want people to hear yeah. hear me talk about these things. Yeah. It might help them. It yeah. Might. Yeah, yeah. And back so, to choices. Yeah, that's so interesting. Back to choices. If you consider it, always, yeah. always a choice. Always, yeah, yeah. There's no such thing as fate. No, no. 
That's true. There's a lot of possibilities out there, but the choices we make will guide us towards these different results. True. And then we call so, it fate. And then we call it fate. Yeah. 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 That's so true. Hey, man. You know, we I, I was begging you for an hour, and here we've spoken for an hour and... 19 or two hours and 19 minutes uh, really <laughs> yeah. oh that's interesting so i want to i want to thank you for your time man and it, it was good to have you here this is uh like i said this is the first time in a long time that i've had a podcast guest here at the house most of them are by telephone these yeah. days yeah but i'm glad you could come um great to be here so what's uh, what's the next thing uh in line for you any big projects any big challenges out there for you the biggest one now is uh, a client at in 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> where, do you, where do you have to drive? Are you going to make it? <laughs> yep. 39. Um, but uh, that's good. And um, no. But it, I talk too much. I talk too no, much. No, if you're late, blame it on me. <laughs> I love it. And uh, then it's all about taking care of our clients. Yeah. Keeping them uh, assured that we'll, when they come back, we will be there. And it's all about, yeah, caring now. Yeah. And we'll we'll keep on doing that, even though we can't monetize on that. We will monetize on the other side of COVID. Yeah, I'm sure. There you go. Einstein Jensen, thank you so much for coming. Thank you to Daniel Eriksson for, for putting us together. This wouldn't have happened without Daniel Eriksson's suggestion. Yeah, thank you, Dan Boy. He's a he's a he's a good guy. Yeah, he is. All right, my friend. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Ed.